And we are back. We are starting up our second half of our Game of the Year podcast. Uh, We have now collected a list of the 20 best games of the year. And uh, our goal now is to talk through those 20 games, narrow it down to 10, and then order them. Should we go through the list? Yes, yes. Um, All right, so in alphabetical order, we have... A Monster's Expedition through Puzzling Exhibitions, Animal Crossing New Horizon, Boreal Tales, Bug Snacks, Fuser, Hades, Half-Life Alex, Kentucky Route Zero, Microsoft Flight Simulator, My Exercise, No One Lives Under the Lighthouse, Paradise Killer, Post Void, Rainy Season, Roki, South of the Circle, Tales from Off-Peak City Volume 1, The Last of Us Part 2, Wide Ocean Big Jacket, and Yakuza Like a Dragon. This is a damn fine list of video games. It is, but um, I I feel it represents how weird the year was for me, actually, because um, I feel great about a lot of this game, but I kind of, I don't know, I have a... Harder time than usual. I don't know. I was in a weird place and seeing a lot of this game, like just remember, just remembering um, this year's. This year is weird, and I have a hard time. Um, I have a hard time separating the thought I have about those games that what happened this year during the pandemic. I guess. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and I, I, I really do think. Okay, so how I. First off, I think we should definitely talk about our relationship to these games through the pandemic and how they may, that may or may not have uh, yeah, en- encountered these ones specifically. And secondly, I have a, a proposal to maybe change how we might do this. Okay. Uh, so, no- I mean, whatever, hear me out. We can. So normally what would happen at this point is that we would just propose games to cut. Yes. Um, I would say that a way we could tackle it this year would be to go through the games as a first pass and just okay. say them one, like keep our alphabetical order okay. and go through them to talk about them. Because I, I do think what ends up happening is that we definitely don't talk enough about our yeah. our number one and number two games. Okay. Uh, it will also, it'll, um, I th- looking at this list, I think it will let us talk about some of the bigger games in a staggered order. <laughs> Uh, well, then I agree with you. Let's start that. So, and let's start with uh, Monster Expedition through Puzzling Exhibition. Have you played a lot of it? Uh, yeah, I played. I played a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. So that that ends up being my issue with this game is that um, you told me the beginning is really good and it has a very great um, uh, late title card, and I do agree with you. Oh. All the setup, everything is really good. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's just a simple uh, block pushing puzzle, but every small island that you see from the top is one puzzle, and you get to a puzzle basically, and all the puzzles set up, and you end up doing something that the reaction to it is unexpected, and then the title card happens. It doesn't sound like much. Said this way, but like when you play through it, it makes sense. And I really found this game to be super smart and incredible from the time I played it. But there was this nagging feeling of, oh, this is gonna be a snake bird. I'm not ready for this. 
right now. Oh, really? Oh, for me. Um, I am sure I would love, love this game. I haven't played enough of it. Okay, uh, that's that's very fair. Um, so it it definitely does get to some snake bird. I, I mean, I never finished snake bird because it was too hard for me, but it does get to some pretty challenging places. But um, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, this is a block pushing puzzle game, right? Like you you're pushing blocks to solve puzzles, and I I didn't I actually really hate this type of mechanic when it shows up, or I I often have hated this mechanic when it shows up inside of other games. Yep. But when you're just kind of going one after another and you know what you're in for and there's no, you know, can, there's no sort of surprises, uh, I, end up, I end up really liking it more. This game, I think, is incredibly smart about giving you every single tool from the jump and using those tools in new and surprising ways. Yeah. Like, there are puzzles you have definitely encountered that you don't know the, how to solve yet uh, that, frankly, are just... They're, there is like a verticality to this game that you don't expect. And I feel, well, what's great about the little card and we're spoiling games, I'm just going to repeat it and stop saying spoilers. Uh, what's great about the little card is that, as I said, you get the impression that every island is there its own puzzle, but the title card is the moment you realize that the interact between each other, that you're going to have to solve puzzle in certain way, that is going to help you interact with another island later, basically. And I mean, and, and it never gets so involved. So like the, the other thing I like about this game so much is that um, like the puzzles can interact that way, but it often feels like when they do, you are... So the late title card happens because you have, you've basically like aligned, you have aligned um, two logs into water uh, because that's the only place that you can fit them. And you're like, well, what the hell do I do? And then you push against a rock and it blasts you down. Like it basically, you've accidentally created a raft and all of a sudden you find yourself completely like removed from that island and onto the next one. And that does happen quite a few times where all of a sudden you're like, I think I have a solution. And then, oh, whoops, I've hit my raft off into the middle of nowhere. And I guess I am solving a different puzzle now. Right. So it, it always kind of keeps that insular feeling of like you are tackling one puzzle at a time, but sometimes one area will have multiple solutions and then that will, you know, send you on a different trajectory. Yeah. So you will think, okay, I am exploring this, you know, blizzardy area. And then all of a sudden you find yourself um, moved on to a completely different area right. of the map. So this game, <clears throat> we haven't really talked about the theming of it at all. You are a very adorable little oblong that is a monster. And um, the premise of the game is that you are a monster who is basically going through a human museum. And so there's a lot of human objects on little podiums and the monsters are misinterpreting how humans would use these objects. I, I Actually, I have some examples written down if I pull up my notes here. Okay, so I just have one here. Uh, so you, you come into a coffee cup and it says, the ability to make a thin soup called tea was highly prized in England. The preferred balance of sugar, milk, and brewing time was different for everyone, so pleasing folk was no mean feat. Those with psychic skills tended to fare better. Um, and you, you encounter a lot of a lot of things along those lines yeah, that are they're cute. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very good. Like you, you like it's okay. Here, I have another one written down here. Um, you encounter a uh, a piece of mail. Okay, I have a typo here, so I'm not going to read it verbatim as a quote. Uh, but it says that uh, basically that postage stamps are stickers for adults made to brighten adults' days. 
Anyway, and you know, like this little cute monster, like there's there's a lot of considering it has no dialogue and there's no or mm. the monster itself has no dialogue and has no sort of like descriptive features, like it has no eyes or eyebrows. There are moments where you just kind of like will sit on a bench and kind of like kind of kicks his feet on the bench and it's very cute and you kind of get a sense for the character of this oblong. Um, you can sometimes just like get a coffee at a shot at a shack you'll find, and I um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a very mechanical game that shouldn't have the that doesn't need all this personality but that it does have some personality just helps wrapping the whole package despite the the despite you know sometimes it being irritating when you can't solve a puzzle in any puzzle game of this nature i did find it very relaxing and very piecemeal Mm -hmm. in a way that i i had like a, a few this is a game i played for long stretches of time in like a sunday afternoon i could say okay i'm going to play until i am fed up of these puzzles and i i did end up finishing it but I don't think I've seen, like, half of the puzzles in the game, right. if that makes sense. Like, you just kind of eventually stumble into the ending. Yeah, um, it's totally one of the game I'm looking at and think I haven't played enough, but I would really like to play more of this. All right, so that that's Monsters Expedition, through Puzzling Exhibitions. So you have to say the full name. <laughs> um, Animal Crossing New Horizon is our next game. So that game dropped at the perfect time, I feel, uh, for this year. Uh, I feel um, it dropped at the moment during the pandemic where everybody was getting back home and stopped working for a little while. So everybody at the same time just got into Animal Crossing like a really hard way. And me too, I ended up playing 60 hours of Animal Crossing, which I didn't expect to play as much of that. Uh, so, for those that don't know what Animal Crossing is, is uh, basically that this Animal Crossing is different than the other one in that you're creating your own village on an island. You're given an island, and you're gonna create a small village on the island, and uh, the village is gonna evolve in real time. And you're gonna bring some friend um, on the island, and those friends will have like different things to say every day that you're gonna be on the island. And you might plant a tree and it might take three real day for the tree to uh, becomes uh, to, 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 to grow up. So there's a lot of, uh, there's no real goal except making your island nice for yourself and your friend. And it's just a game that you're gonna play every day because real time stuff works and that you're gonna play it every day and do a few small tasks every day and talk to your friend every day and then see how the world evolve around it. And yeah. Okay, so Animal Crossing came at a very important time. It was very therapeutic for a lot of us. It had a, um, it was a calm and warm blanket in a very uncertain moment. And uh, I, I think even for myself, like I, I ended up playing this game. This is kind of the game that accidentally led me into binging movies because I started off playing a lot of it and putting on bad movies and kind of being like, I'm just going to play Animal Crossing and work on my flowers while this movie's on in the background. And I think that was the thing that led me to a very safe space in the pandemic, which was watching movies one after another. And it also is the thing which led me to kind of loathe Animal Crossing because I realized I would just rather be watching these movies, not engaging with Animal Crossing because you're kind of not doing very much. Yeah. Uh, that's my biggest problem. I feel very conflicted about Animal Crossing because, as I said, I've played 60 hours of it. It's a very, like you said, it's a very safe space. It's a place where I enjoyed living in the space. 
but the more I think about it, the more it feels like time lost to just like a Skinner box and I'm just grinding bullshit. And so I'm, I'm going to add to that, that the thing that actually, the thing that really made me sour in Animal Crossing, and I've loved all the Animal Crossings up to this point, like I've, I've played them all and really enjoyed them. And I ended up playing this one about the same amount as I play any of the others. Um, this one added proper notifications. Right. And I hate yeah. that. Oh, do I hate that. That when you log on, it's like, hey, you got five things to do. Did you do your five things? You get points for doing your five things. Animal Crossing always had those five things to do. I always went and did my weeds and picked my fruit and checked the mail and talked to all my villagers. And all of a sudden in this game, it started giving me points for it. And I just had this big like, no, 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 you don't get to tell me how to relax. Stop telling, trying to tell me how to relax. Why have you turned my relaxation into a chore? Why have you made this work? Um, and uh, and so I, I kind of soured on it in a pretty big way. Yeah, also soured on it in a pretty big way. But then four or five months after, I'm like taking on it. I'm like, yeah, it was a nice time. Like, it was a yeah. nice... I don't know. I had a nice routine with that game. It's very hard because when I think about it, I'm like, this game is just Skinner Bucks and it's just grinding. And it's like a nice version of Diablo. It's like the, the, the happy version of a game where you just grind and do nothing constructive. But I still, I still like it, but then I hate it. I don't know. I have a weird feeling about it. I still value the time it gave me. I just need to not think too much about it. Other things, just while we're, we're talking about it, I love the villagers singing occasionally outside of your town hall when you yep. encounter your villagers all having a little song. That was amazing. I think all the music in the game is actually great. Yep. Just It's really good lo-fi chill beats. <laughs> uh, at the moment, one of my friends was a little hamster that was very fucking cute. And I had a little moment where the hamster picked a coffee and then just fell asleep with the coffee in her hand. And, like, I don't know that... I know it just happened by accident, but it felt like kind of this perfect moment where the game had a personality that just happened because of the uh, interacting system. And like, I, I appreciate that a game, that a AAA game can create those kind of moments. And um, think that those moments are enough for the game. Like it doesn't need to give you a big goal to save the world and whatever. Like the, the breadth of the game is just living in that world. Totally agreed. But you're chopping, you're chopping trees to build something and whatever. I, I have another another anecdote here, which was the first time that I traveled to an online person's town. I can't remember what, where I was going. I guess I was just going on Reddit and I put in a code because I was trying to get turnips or something. And I don't remember. Um, and I, you're you get into an airplane with the dodos and you're flying overhead. And the first town I went to. I'm flying over and someone has just spelt out in rocks, sup bitches. <laughs> I, I just lost my mind. I could not stop laughing at the way that this uh, this right. adorable game had soured so fast. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, I think there's probably a little bit more to say, but maybe we move on to, uh, yeah. to the next one here. Okay, so... Uh, Boreal Tales. Um, hold on, I just want to grab my my notes here, wherever they may be. Oh, maybe I don't even have them. What? Maybe I lost my notes. Oh. Such is life. Um, so Boreal Tales is 
it's a it's a pretty low budget uh, th- uh, affair. It's it's um, in the same PS One aesthetic as a lot of the other horror games that I've brought up. Uh, this one is, for all intents and purposes, a much less cryptic and modern Silent Hill story. Okay. So it's um, it's using a lot of um, it still has all of the abstract sort of body horror imagery that you might expect from something like a Silent Hill. But it's pretty straightforward in its in its linear narrative, which is that there is a there is a small town, uh, and all of the residents there are overworked uh, at this you know basically at this mill, which is in the process of shutting down. And um, ostensibly, the plot is that they are all trying to uni- unionize, and simultaneously, the mayor or um, the person who runs the um, the mill I can't remember who is trying to scapegoat this unionization as the reason for the mill shutting down. And so the people are starting to riot amongst themselves and between each other. And anyway, you're you're sort of caught in the middle of this fallout. Like there's quite literally blood in the streets, and they're using this Silent Hill motif as a way to sort of have their the um, kind of communicate, kind of communicate the the themes of um, of loss and violence without you know without the the budget to show all of it. So there's there's sort of a creeping static that is moving through the town, and uh, one of the characters, I think their name is Sarah, is being accused of sort of spreading this static, and all, and so in tandem with that, the loss of jobs and the unionization, there's a lot all tied up in this, uh, in this character. Uh, and so it's more or less an adventure game. You're bouncing between different areas on the map, and um, there's lots of little vignettes of how the town is slowly dying, and... Um, you know, there's lots of different reasons people are using as their scapegoat and as the the method to blame people. Anyway, I I'm really fond of a a non combat horror game or a horror game where there is no actual monster or no actual stakes that you as a player need to be sort of afraid of or managing or thinking about. It's kind of just an adventure game that has a spooky setting, and so it's kind of dealing with this anti capitalist plot while having horror elements. And the whole thing I, I really I enjoyed kind of top to bottom until. It started getting into the actual main characters and heroes and protagonists in a more um, straight-on way. Like, I was sort of interested in how the town was reacting rather than individual characters. Okay. You didn't play any, right? No. Too spooky. Too spooky, but you told me it's not that bad. No, no, you would have been fine. Nah, I should probably try it. Yeah. The next game we have on the list is Bugsnax. So Bugsnax was... Um... It was a PS5 launch game, right? Yeah. Uh, it also exists on the PS4 and on the PC, but like for me, it came at the time, at the same time as the launch of the PS5. So it was kind of a weird time because I was in a mode where I was, I just wanted to play my big AAA dumb shit to make my PS5 make sense. So I don't know. Uh, Bug Snacks, ex- uh, like, obviously doesn't need a PS5 to run and it's not a great looking game. It's not, no, it's a good looking game, but it doesn't like use all the bell and whistle of a PS5, but whatever, it's not important. So it's kind of a walking simulator where you play a journalist going on this island where a people that are called the Grumps, I think, or the Grumpus. Grumpus. They're Grumpus. The Grumpus, uh, they're little like Muppet-like character, uh, are living on this island where they, uh, there's uh, some animal kind of thing that are called bug snacks, which are sentient strawberries and sentient like tacos and shit their food their sentient food uh and they're doing research on that shit and when you eat one of the sentient strawberry and stuff it morphs your body into that thing that you just said so you kind of get 
um, you get to the island and you realize that everybody got angry at each other and they're not living in the same place anymore. So you're kind of trying to piece the mystery of why everybody got angry at each other and then you want to bring them back together and you want to find a person that is the head of the um, expedition disappeared and you want to find her again. Um, Bugsnax is cool. Oh, I mean, Bugsnax is awesome. Bugsnax, you hit the nail on the head with the Muppets, right? Like, Bugsnax is the Muppet game that I never knew I needed. I love the characters in yeah. Bugsnax and every bit of, like, dialogue and interaction between them I was pretty spellbound by and pretty excited about. Um, I think the world is kind of a joy to be in. And um, I was not expecting this game to have, like, the basically just like the top to bottom narrative and scenes and vignettes that I was going to be, you know, like looking forward to seeing. And I yep. pretty much enjoyed it top to bottom because the reward of the reward of more sort of character interaction and goofs was, um, was pretty high. I like even the, them being called Grumpus. Like I love, they, um, they kind of use the word Grumpus or grump as a swear word, but there's no internal logic to how they use it. They'll just be like, grump you, or they'll say like this grump forsaken island. Like it doesn't really make sense in terms of language. It's just them kind of using it anytime they're angry. They just start throwing the word grump in there. So it's like very funny, uh, funny and silly. And, and in I, I, Muppets works again because Muppets has this like cynicism to it. Like there's this characters in Muppets are all kind of mm. a little bit sad. And that's very much what's going on in Bug Snacks. Like these characters are so yep. falsely happy. Like they all kind of live in their own little bubble and aren't too happy about it. But they sure as hell are not going to change their bubble to match with other people's bubbles. And... Right. The thing that I'm going to say, we're going to talk more about Bug Snacks, and I really liked it. But I feel I was more um, turned off by the gameplay that you were uh, before the marketing kind of sold it as a kind of viva pinata kind of thing because you need to capture some bug snacks because some character wants you to find a sentient strawberry and feed them a sentient strawberry and you need to do some stuff to be able to capture some of the bug snacks and it's never that involved or that difficult of puzzle but i always found it to be kind of annoying on my hand um, I never quite enjoyed the gameplay. I really liked the story like you did. And I really liked the interaction between all the characters. The gameplay itself was more... I wish it was just perfunctory because for me it felt like a bunch of fetch quests, gameplay-wise. I, th I felt like the, the quests themselves moved kind of so quickly that it never really bothered me. Like the game's not very long, mm. so even even when there were parts that I'd be a little bit annoyed at, like there's there's a couple specific moments that I thought were kind of tedious. But for the most part, I felt like I was kind of through them faster than I could be angry at the game for making me do something yeah. I thought was a little you know lackluster. Uh, okay, we'll come back to bug snacks. Okay, talk to me about Fuser. Fuser is um, the new game from Harmonix. Uh, it is uh, both a DJ simulator and a nightmare factory. Uh, basically, it gives you all the tool of a D that a DJ would have, and way too many tools. And uh, it tells you, like they have 60, 70 um, license song. It goes from uh, Jolene from Dolly Parton to Call Me Maybe from Calvary Gibson. It has some Imagine Dragon. It has like a bunch of great to cool shitty hits. 
uh, music and it tells you um, to mix them uh, however you want. And the thing it does, the technology is pretty impressive because it always sounds kind of right. So I, I did mix some song um, by myself on my computer. It's always a hard job to fit the BPM, the beats by a minute, and have the song be on the same rhythm and whatever. But like Fuser does all that stuff for you. So it just let you be, oh, I want the drum of Call Me Maybe with the vocals of that stupid song and then fit that together and give me something and then I'm gonna crank the BPM up and whatever. Uh, its biggest failure is that the game itself is not interesting. It has a full campaign that has a, act as a tutorial and it's never good. It just teaches you all the tools you have and there's a lot of tools, like there's a lot, lot of stuff in this game that lets you create your nightmare however you want. So it's good that there's a tutorial version for it, but like during those tutorial level, people in the crowd were gonna scream stuff like, oh, I wanna hear this song and I wanna hear the drum from this song and you need to um, fill that request. And that is not fun because it doesn't let you do the nightmare you wanna do. The best fun I have with this game is playing in free play and they have um, a weekly team in free play where there's no restriction. They're gonna tell you, oh, uh, I don't know, a team is uh, make a love song and like everybody's gonna make their own love song and then put it on the internet and you can listen to the other people oh, that awesome. did their love song nightmare. And that's how I found the game the most fun to engage with. The biggest problem at the end of the day with this game is that it has no game at all. Like, it's really more just a tool to make nightmare music. That being said, like, just making nightmare music is, like, kind of awesome. Like, I don't know how many fucking mix I've, I did that just finished to, like, call me maybe on the vocals. And, like, all of my fucking mixes for the first month I played with this game just ended up on Call Me Maybe all the time, whatever. Like even if I had metal guitars in there and like a stupid drum from a pop song it was always Call Me Maybe and I had so much fun doing that dumb shit. It's the kind of game I really like. I really, really like this game. It's the kind of game that said I kind of need, I wish I had more reason to go back to it because I, I like it so much, but I find the structure lacking around it. Is the structure around the achievements not good? No. Yeah. Uh, but I really want to come in, oh, great, the, the, the tools in it are. The, I, had, I had a lot of fun with it. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Let's move on to Hades. Uh, so Hades is the latest game by Supergiant uh, in now a long line of isometric um, isometric games with incredible art design and just production across the board, the voice acting, the music, the look. Um, these games are, uh, are hard to take your eyes off. They're hard to not kind of fall in love with. Um, this is a run-based game and is uh, more or less lauded for being a run-based game that uh, weaves the runs into the narrative. So this is you play the son of Hades and you are trying to escape escape hell to to reunite with your mother and you have a failed attempt and so you die and you come back and you try again and you try again and along the way you collect powers 
thanks to the help of the Greek gods who are trying to aid you in your quest to escape the underworld. Hades is great fun. It is, in in a lot of ways, a um, it's just a really enjoyable marriage of kind of like pseudo deck building and also roguelites, and uh, it just feels great to actually go through. Uh, the character designs and and you know voice acting are obviously the the star of the show here. You know the aesthetics of Supergiant's games are their biggest claim to fame. Um, yeah, that's I think a good summary of Hades. Yeah, for the moment, stay there. Uh, I don't think we're going to talk more about it later. But uh, yeah, all right, it's great fun. All right, take it away. Okay, our next game is Kentucky Zero. Well, no, our next game is Half Life. uh... Oh, sorry, (laughs) sorry, I was uh, too eager to get Kentucky. So our next game is Half Life Addicts, and I want to thank you, Raf, for uh, lending me your VR headset because. I wouldn't have played this game otherwise. So Half-Life Addicts is the new Half-Life game. I think that tells enough uh, by itself, though it's a VR game too, where you play addicts from the Half-Life lore. And uh, yeah, I I guess it's not that different than the other Half-Life game, except the fact that it's in VR and everything that comes around the fact that it's in VR makes it a very special thing, also because it might be the only uh, VR game with that much of a single-player campaign. That is not a score or run-based thing. It's very much a single-player, linear, triple-A, set-pieces moment campaign. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think the kind of like my my tagline for this Half-Life is that the the cool the future is cooler but dumber. Uh, and I think yeah. uh, I think that sums it up <laughs> that makes pretty quick. There, Half Life is, I mean, cool doesn't even begin to describe. There are some things in this that are just spectacular by virtue of the VR and the way you have you have access to both your hands and are using them to do multiple things. This game is at its best when it is asking you to spin more plates than you can feasibly do. Yeah. So there are a lot of moments where it is asking you to do one thing with one hand one thing with the other hand and also you have to use your actual vision which comes into play because you can't look at both at the same time and um it's super cool um it it's a shame that there are some problems kind of around its triple a design and it being locked in a different era and, and we kind of say like i kind of said oh it's an f5 game but in vr but like it's crazy how much some simple interaction that we have in our video game like pressing a to pick an item become cools when they were cut out specifically for VR in that Half-Life Haddocks, uh compared to other VR game, uh, think about how those interactions can feel good in VR. So the way you're gonna pick up item is that you're gonna put them in your backpack behind you. And just that simple interaction is super cool because they, it's like they found a new, a new ID, uh, a new way of pressing A. Yeah like in a video game and that like it's way more meaningful than it should be for a game that is if it were on in vr would be the exact same as an f-life game but like they thought their inter- their vr interaction enough that it doesn't feel like a game that should exist out of vr yeah i, I could gush about all the amazing things in it but maybe we leave it there and we come back uh, as we go through this yep uh, since you were so excited to talk about Kentucky Route Zero, I'm going to let you uh, run the show on no, this. No, 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 it's your turn, because I'm going to the next one, too. Uh, oh, okay, that's that's fair. Um, 
Although now that I'm realizing uh, that I have this challenge, I don't really know how to begin. <laughs> yeah, I have no Kentucky Route Zero is uh, the seven-year in development, the seven-year in development game from Cardboard Computer. Uh, I think that this is the best written video game of all time um, by a country mile. I think it is one of the most in, um, I'm, I'm so jealous of the, the fact that someone younger than me made this game and the, I'm jealous of even the, the capacity to, to think so holistically about a single piece of art to have it um, continue to maintain that level of quality over a seven-year period, to not just you know ship it and move on to something else. Uh, Category Zero is a game about the death of the, we'll say we'll say death of the Midwest, but really we're talking about the death of um, Western civilization by way of corporate capitalism and the way that um, debt and debt and economics will remove you know. Uh, remove life from the world and those who inhabit it. Uh, and it sounds, you know, when I'm describing it this way, like I'm not doing it justice because this is a game that just does so much in um, yep. in such a short space of time. I cannot believe that this game happened to release this year because the other major thing that this game is about is about the uh, loss of shared spaces. Right. And uh, this year we all lost a lot of shared spaces. And... Um, I think the game is touching, funny, smart, fun. Uh, I think it's a, a, a tremendous game, and I can't wait to talk about it more with you. Yeah, and like you said, uh, it's impressive that they kept the quality up for seven years, but I replayed the whole game this year uh, because the last episode of the game released only this year. It's why we're considering it now. But I replayed the whole game from the beginning, and even stuff that they wrote seven years ago feel even prescient, more prescient nowadays. And it's fucking crazy how this game feels. Um, they were, like they were on the right track from the beginning. There will be more conversation about Kentucky Route Zero. <laughs> yep. Um, our next game is Microsoft Flight Simulator and I- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this game for all the bad reasons. So this game, Okay, Flight Simulator, you get the idea, it's a Flight Simulator. Uh, the thing that this one does yeah, is new is that it uses satellite imagery of the whole planet to create the whole world, to generate the whole world as you're going through it. So you can basically go anywhere in the world where there's satellite imagery and fly there however you want. And it's crazy. Like it's crazy virtual tourism. It's incredible to go from place to places. It's incredible to see your own house, but it's also incredible to see the way in which it breaks sometimes, in which like two scenes of two uh, satellite picture doesn't fit all together. So there's houses that are like weirdly higher than other in the middle of New York, or there's a spike in the world that, like, it feels like. Um, it's the closest we got to a VR, a new VR world, shared world that is kind of still buggy. And it's also 
It's probably the most uh, demanding game on the market right now, and I kind of love that my computer is going crazy every time I start playing this game because, like, I, I have a new computer and, um, like, it's struck, it's kind of struggling even with this game. Like, this feels next gen in a way that's like an exec was there and they were just. Like, no, not, don't optimize that shit. It needs more bell and whistle until, like, we're gonna fry people's computer. We don't fucking care about making something that is optimized. Just put everything in it. Like, it feels like this technological mastodon that is kind of intimidating because when you think about it, they're spying on everybody's right now and you can go into the world and we're in a world which is kind of creepy, but it's also super cool. Uh, I love how crazy it is. There's not... So, the thing that makes it playable, for, even for somebody like me that doesn't understand playing that much, is that there's a lot of uh, options in how you're going to uh, interact with the plane, and you can just put it on. I just want to press A and fly and whatever and go around. So, for me, it just existed that um, virtual tourism. There's... I had a hard time, so I really liked the game, but I had a hard time finding things to do because the exact same thing is like, oh, I get into the sky and now I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And I have like two hours waiting time before I get to another city. So I'm just in the sky and I'm like, okay, what do I do? So it's not the game I go back the most to, but there's always that moment where I need to, I want to see it and then wait five minutes for the game to load and then like, get somewhere and just be impressed at how crazy weird this experience is. I just want to add my one... So I, my computer didn't run this game, and it was actually very devastating to me because as it was coming out, I it was... Um, it was sort of like traveling season and I really wanted to travel and could not travel because we, you know, we're locked in pandemic life and all I wanted to do was fly over Disney World. I just wanted to fly my plane over Disney World and fly my plane to Scotland and just kind of be to places that I kind of recognized a little bit but were remote and I, yeah. you know, feel completely disconnected from. I, I genuinely think this would be on my top 10 list if uh, yeah if I had played it and it, it won't be for that because um, I, I just couldn't. Every time I would turn my camera from left to right, it would basically it would take a full two seconds to kind of like load the next frame and then it would sort of work for a little bit, right. but it doesn't, that's not, that's not this game. No, that's that's not, not how you want to experience like, it. I like that the game is very laggy for the first minute I load it, but then for me it fixes itself after a while and it gets playable and that's what you want. The problem is that with your computer, it's not really playable. I like that I can play it without sound and my computer is making the airplane noise. <laughs> because it's about to explode <laughs> but like it's still playable uh i was gonna say i did see someone on um online posted a photo of um disney world from um microsoft flight simulator but because it's all satellite images and because of the way the tech works th uh, they happen to capture it with snow which does obviously doesn't happen in florida <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Yeah, uh, they've been fixing stuff around, but even seeing how the world evolved this way um, is just interesting. One thing I was funny, like there's weird trend around this game. When the game came out, like everybody started posting their house on Twitter and whatever. Oh, I visited my house. Or, oh, I crashed into my house and whatever. There's no real crashing animation. It just got to black and... I think it's better that way because for obvious reason the internet would destroy everything you can do with this game if you could crash. 
but it was very weird. Uh, I saw somebody post on Twitter. Oh, it's very weird that people can go anywhere in the world and they're choosing to go to their straight house. to their house. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, which is true. But I did it too. I went straight to my house. I uh, I can't wait to be able to play this in full. Yep. Uh, all right. Our next game is My Exercise by Playables. Um, My Exercise is an excellent game. It takes about 20 minutes to play. There is one button. That button is, I want to say, space bar. And yeah, you press space the space bar. bar and you do one sit-up. And you are doing one sit-up face first into, is it a llama? No, it's a dog. A dog, okay. You do one sit-up face first into a dog. And then... And that's it weirdly human face <laughs> <laughs> it sure does then you press space bar again you do sit up number two face first into that dog so on so forth you do hundreds of sit ups you press that space bar hundreds of times uh, as you press the space bar the world starts to populate with more things for example a second dog sometimes you hold the space bar and you really rub your face into that dog that dog gets a face or a stomach full of man face <laughs> um yeah all right let's move on uh <laughs> no one lives under the lighthouse is our next game i'm very fond of no one lives under the lighthouse uh it is yet another one of my ps1 aesthetic survival hor- well survival horror game uh horror games just generally in no one lives under the lighthouse you play uh, you play a new lighthouse operator who is just uh, arriving to the island. I guess it's actually worth noting that it starts off with you playing the previous lighthouse operator right until their untimely end. It, it's tackling more or less the same theming uh, and, and it uses a lot of the same like motifs that the lighthouse, lighthouse the movie does, uh, except by virtue of you being alone on this, you know, this small island, you... Uh, you know, you're not getting any dialogue. It really is tapping into that isolation. I think it's, I think it's really great, um, just in terms of like you walking around doing menial tasks and sort of finding things which are creepy that maybe would not be significant or creepy in another game where you had more going on or more sort of conversation or more, uh, more interaction. But when you are, when you're on such a remote, sparse, like lo-fi, um, level and you're seeing things like you know you go into your little cabin and uh you know the cross above your door is a little bit crooked so you straighten out the cross it it starts to give meaning to some of these things um even something you know that is a little bit more forward like you know you find the canister the uh the empty oil canister of the previous uh lighthouse person and there's you know it's just sort of abandoned in the middle of uh in the middle of the lighthouse so you have this moment of like okay i don't quite know how they died but they did make it this far they made it to this point and what what chased them and um and uh i think all of it works really well it's sort of a shame so at some point it becomes a little bit more um it does sort of fall apart in the third act there is quite literally a large giant moth who is who ends up sort of chasing you around uh which is a shame and it's you know moth to a flame it's a very simple um you know device but uh it, it doesn't really change how much I kind of enjoyed being in that creepy space up until that point. Um, I think there are some smart design choices around, uh, around even just sort of some of the, um, the sight lines and stuff like that. I think there, there are some smart, some smart things you can see in this very small area. 
you know, there's a moment where you turn on music and all of a sudden you come back and the music is off. And there's just like really creepy little cues like that that uh, I think are delivered quite well. And I, I liked it. Okay. It, uh, it very, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table and say that it, uh, it narrowly did not make my list. But I, uh, I enjoyed it enough to bring it along here. Okay. So our next game is uh, Paradise Killer. Uh, Paradise Killer is kind of a walking simulator slash detective game where you're playing. It's hard to explain, but you're like in the place where all the gods and the human lives and something. And uh, there's been a murder. So one human got away from his eternal prison and killed the council of the gods or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And you're the detective uh, woken up to uh, solve the murder. Uh, and everybody thinks the murder is very obvious. The human like ran away and killed the consul, but something else is going on uh, out there. And uh, yeah, it's mostly a walking simulator slash a visual, uh, visual novel when you're interacting with other characters and you're just solving this very complicated murder, but you're also learning. So, Obviously, they're these immortal entities are more like um, Greek gods than they are horror gods, and that they are they all have their flaws and their relationship and issues, and you're learning all that as you start to interrogate them to find who's the murderer. You buried the lead. This game's real horny. Yep. It's a real horny game. Yeah. Also, <laughs> it's a really horny game. Um. Yeah. Everybody's hot and they love sex. <laughs> and they all, uh, I, I feel bad because I am forgetting all the name right now, but like they all have cool name and cool looks and whatever. Like it, it's very, um, yeah, your, your name is lady love dies. Yeah. Uh, and the game opens up with you. So you have, you have been, um, you have been in exile for 3000 days and you, uh, you wake up and they're like, Hey, there's been a murder. We need you back. And so you you are on this like giant you know, two hundred story tall tower is your prison, and you, the door gets unlocked and you just leap from the top of the tower, uh, and that's that's where you know, like the music kicks in and you start to see the you see the island in full. land and your friend is there and they've got a hover car that's going to drive across the ocean to the island and um this game's got style for days yep and uh and the style's weird like it's it's got a weird aesthetic it makes it makes a lot of um like it's taking this late 80s early 90s aesthetic and then like dripping it in um gold and phallic imagery and turning it into this really cool just surreal strange eclectic vibrant island that you explore and uh i like this game a ton yeah i liked it too i liked it a ton too uh i think we're going to talk more about it there's a lot of stuff i want to commend this game for but yeah when we're gonna get there uh i think you have to be the one to introduce post void yeah the other game we have is post void post void is like a metaphor for life so you're like uh, it's a run-based FPS where you're a character that is uh, keeping their home head in their hand, basically about to die and screaming in pain or whatever. And uh, your head is dripping uh, 
blood or some weird liquid or whatever you don't know exactly know what it is and you're playing this uh, first person shooter where you move really fast and when you kill enemies it fills back your head with the liquid life liquid and when an enemy uh, touch you uh, it drifts faster and that's basically it you're just running really quickly through uh, i think it's 11 level that you need to finish quickly and has this very uh i'm having a bad trip look to it uh, that's a mix of uh like 2d sprite and 3d um level like a little like a doom but mixed with a hotline mammy where the color are very saturated and very unpleasant to look at and even the enemies the game goes so fast that you have a hard time saying what the enemies look like but even them look kind of crummy, weird, humanoid monsters and everything. And uh, I really fucking love this game. Like it, it's, it's uh, borderline unwatchable and unplayable because of how aggressive it is to you. But like, it's just on the edge of being too much. But for me, it was just right there that I could still play it and have my time with it. I feel like the mechanics, uh, we'll talk more about it, and it has maybe a little too many mechanics, but I feel the simple mechanic that you run really fast and you lose time, but when you kill an enemy, you gain more time. is just like a perfect ID for a run-based mechanic. And I also like that it's a run-based game where the run are two or three minutes long top. I was going to say, like, well, is it tops two, three minutes? I, f I feel like it caps out at, like, five minutes. And by the end of that five minutes, you are just like, oh, God, oh, not like, just the stress is mounts with every 10 seconds you make it. it yeah, uh, I feel it took me seven minutes to finish the game Okay. when I did a full run. But, like, it's a game that you're going to do hundreds of runs before you get to the end. It's a headache as a video game, and I love it. Yeah, I Post Void super cool. Uh, let us... Let us move on to our next game, <laughs> uh, Roki, which has got to be the polar opposite of Post Void. Oh, and every no, oh no, I'm sorry, it's rainy season. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Maybe even more than Roki, rainy season is the polar opposite of Post Void. Rainy season is a game about a little boy, almost wondering why everyone around them is so content. You are supposed to be going to the amusement park, and you are devastated to find out that it has been cancelled because of rain. And so you spend your entire day trapped in the house with these boring grown-ups doing boring grown-up things while you explore the house. I guess it's worth noting the, the house is your grandmother's, so it is not your house. So the house is full of some mystery that mm. is a sort of unknown to you. Uh, and you are basically just trying to kill time until tomorrow so that you can go to the amusement park. I love this game a lot. Uh, it is a game that it is a game that is putting that is sort of tackling boredom and it's making boredom this like really integral part of, of the character you are playing and um, it sort of it absolutely loves the fact that you can be bored and it's constantly sort of pointing at the fact that you are bored and no one else around you is. Uh, and so you are sort of like grappling with that as a kid and uh, I think it's a super normal experience uh, i think it's a it's joyful it is nostalgic in a way that i didn't realize like it's a, it's a nostalgia that i haven't had tapped into in a very long time right. and you know there, there are there are you know if it were just that i would have been satisfied there are some other vignettes in there that are a little bit more fantastical uh at some point you open up a door and it's you are just greeted with a completely lush green outdoor space uh inside your house and there's an enormous imaginary cat there 
Uh, and the cat says, don't you wish your days were shorter? Yeah, I, I guess that's where we'll leave it for now. There, there are there yep. are some other moments I desperately want to point to, but we'll we'll hold. Yeah, uh, our next game is uh, Rocky. So in Rocky, you play a little girl um, uh, living uh, with her parent. You you understand uh, at the beginning that your mom has uh, died a few years ago, and you are there with your father and your brother. And then a big troll attack the house, or a big fantastical creature. It's probably a troll because the game is obviously very um, inspired by Norwegian, Scandinavian, whatever. That's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, Norwegian uh, fantasy. Yeah, it plays out a little. So you, you get separated from your father and your brother very quickly, and you play as the little young girl trying to find back uh, your brother because you're there, you're the bigger sister and you're there to protect your brother. Uh, and it plays out like a little, like an old point and click adventure game. So, but you can play this with the controller. So maybe more like a, a platformer, but it's more puzzle based where you pick some item, you put some item together and do some puzzle and meet some character and talk with some character and find stuff. And uh, it's not a game that uh, evolved the formula a ton, but it's a game I feel it's perfectly paced and perfectly written and perfectly made and like it's I don't know it's not a game that stands out as being special in a world where those type of game already exist but like there it's a game I have a hard time finding any fault with and I just really enjoyed my time living in this world and like even like you're thinking um, point and click puzzle, point and click puzzle using this item with this item, it never gets too hard, but it never gets too dumbed down that it's too easy. I always felt like I knew how to progress. I never got stuck for more than 10 minutes, but I still got stuck enough that I could take time and enjoy going around in the world. And the world was very pretty and fun to be with, uh, fun to be in. All right. I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. I won't I won't add any more commentary to this one, just yet. Uh, I think you summarized it very very well. South of the Circle is our next game. Uh, I think a lot of the games in all of our lists for these past many years um, are very often more book than game. Uh, I think this is very much more movie than game. If anything, uh, it's it's almost a case of me wondering if maybe it ought to have been a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a conversation for another day. Right. This is a romance between two academics set during the mid 1960s. Uh, it starts in media res with you crash landing in in an excuse me. It starts in media res with you crash landing in Antarctica and trying to find supplies to repair and fuel your plane. And so it jumps back and forth between this you know high octane uh, moment and you know the start of your romantic life and your academic career and and sort of flips between them. The the scenes in in Antarctica I I think are really strong for um for being it, it's you know it's a a real world game and it, it uses a lot of the same sort of stylistic choices that you would see in a sci fi movie so there's a lot of like very slow plodding and uh, just a lot of like you know large landscapes and vistas and um, you know single frame shots so. It it starts it almost starts to have almost the vibe of like um like an ex machina or something where it's just a lot of stillness that starts to um to make the area feel exciting. Uh, it being 1960s, it is worth worth sort of mentioning that this also has a lot of Cold War 
narrative going on. There's a, the women's liberation movement is going on during this era. And so this, this all ends up playing into your relationship and your career and all of these things sort of happening in tandem, leading you to the point of cl- cr- crashing your plane. I could go more into the story now if you would like. You know what? I will. We'll just go through it now. I'm going to take you through the whole thing here because I think it's uh, I think it's neat. Okay. So your your romance is sort of happening, and you you are a um. I don't know if your academic ca- career path is a meteorologist, but certainly the paper that you are working on is, and you end up you have sort of been struggling for a long time, and you're kind of on your last legs, and you have to have, you have to deliver this paper in earnest, or you're going to be kicked out of the um, institution. And so this young woman, Clara, who you've just met, has been doing some incredible work, and you're, you start flirting with her, and she eventually, uh, you and her hit it off. And after, after you know, quite some time, you end up starting a relationship, and you end up working on this paper together, and you, you know, work through the paper together, and she ends up being, she is both your muse as well as the person largely responsible for, you know, delivering on the, you know, the merits of this piece that you've worked on together, and sort of amid all of the uh, anxieties and stressors in the world, you end up completely betraying her and taking credit for this piece and eventually getting uh, invited by the government to go on this Antarctic expedition to contribute to the Cold War efforts. And then in Antarctica, you find out that there are a lot of different people who are in this supposedly peaceful zone who are sort of all pretending to not be there. And so the stakes ramp up pretty quickly in this area. It's, you know, it's not the most original story, but uh, it is so beautiful. And it like, just in terms of the visual design, there are so many moments where it's like hard to take your eyes off this game uh, that I, I I thought it was pretty good top to bottom. I really enjoyed playing through it. That's South of the Circle. Our next game is Tales from a Peak City Volume 1 by Cosmo D. I have no idea how you can explain this game to someone. The basic gist of it is that you're a double agent trying to go work in a pizzeria <laughs> to get a musical instrument I think or something like that and the pizzeria is also a jazz bar or something it's a walking simulator with a few mini game sprinkle uh, here and there with a crazy absurd story that makes no sense, but also perfect sense in context. Uh, and it's hard to explain how much I love it and why I love it, but I loved it. Yeah, this game this game rules. Tales from Offbeak City is awesome. <laughs> Just to kind of drill into this, like, so th- this is a, a game that takes place on two, uh, two intersecting city blocks that feel... Um, there, there's a lot of culture on these two city blocks and they are sort of being um, onset by some gentrification. And so a lot of the jazz, it seems like jazz and pizza are used as interchangeable words in this game somehow. And it's like the jazz of making pizza. At some point you're designing your pizzas and you're supposed to take a very jazzy yeah. approach to them. So you're just sort of building your pizza with no form or, you know, traditional structure. Yeah. But like cheese make music. If you use that cheese, it's going to be that music. If you're going to use other cheese, it's going to be other music. And it's all, it's all physics-y in a way. So even if you would think, oh, I'm going to put like the, 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 that cheese to have this nice music because of the physics, it's just going to stumble around and you cannot make the pizza exactly the way you would want. And chocolate and... Yeah, it lets you put anything on it. Anything you fucking want goes on this pizza. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's great. It's uh, mighty pretentious. Uh, I love it. 
Yeah. Oh, The Last of Us Part 2. Huh. I'm very happy we're doing this <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, Last of Us Part 2 is the sequel to The Last of Us, and I'm not someone that loved The Last of Us as much as the whole press, I feel. And I feel when we talk about those games, you tend to be more, you tend to enjoy more the AAA than I do, the, the cinematic AAA than I do. I'm more, we basically have the same taste, but <laughs> if there's a little difference is that you enjoy cinematic game more than I do. And hearing every reviews being kind of disappointed about The Last of Us Part Two, saying it's too violent, it's nihilistic, no character are nice, they're all bad people. I was expecting it to kind of hate it. And I ended up enjoying it way more than I thought because I'm maybe a crazy person, but like I kind of expected it to be more violent than it was. And I kind of enjoyed, oh, like, I enjoyed the fact that it's a triple A game that is way too long that for that way too long moment is just going to tell you, well, nothing's worth shit, piece of shit. <laughs> and like every, everybody's angry, nothing goes well, and uh, you end up hate, hating everything, every time, everyone, sorry, at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, Blast of Us 2, for all the nihilism <laughs> in here, is uh, is like... I, I'm almost surprised people don't like it as much as they do sort of in, in the discourse because um, it's such a, like, pulpy page-turner. Like, it's so... I don't know. Like, it's almost like sort of... Like, it feels like it's... It is more, um, like, exciting in a lot of moments than I, I get out of a, uh, a lot of, you know, main, mainstream television, I suppose. And, like, a lot of those are pretty dark and violent, too. And this this thing I, I thought was mm. really propulsive and... um. The performances were yep excellent. Um, yeah, I, I I liked Last of Us two a lot. I feel one of the biggest issues with the game that people have is that they have a hard time latching on any character in this game because they really like they're not all bad people, but they all end up doing bad stuff except maybe some of the side character. And for me, this ended up feeling more honest than the first one in a way because like like you, you uh, when you read about the discourse about the first game like uh, one thing you heard a lot would be oh at the end of the game you realize that you're the bad people and you're like Joel is a bad person and everybody's a bad person and I didn't feel it as much in the first game that I felt it in this one that's an excellent point that's to- that's completely on the money like at the beginning of the game, I was kind of disappointed disappointed about how it rewrites the ending of the first game because like the the ending of the first game is open ended in a way that's very good, and by having a sequel, it kind of closed the closed the loop on this ending, and the ending is not open ended as much. But by closing that loop, they just shows oh no, there's no nuance there. They're, they did a bad thing. And they're kind of bad people. And I kind of enjoyed that about it. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's return to Last of Us 2. Uh, after we discuss Wide Ocean Big Jacket. <laughs> a lot of contrast here. <laughs> yeah, I know. These are, this, is a, this has been a good order for going through these. 
Wide Ocean Big Jacket is a one-hour visual novel. That, I mean, it, really, Wide Ocean Big Jacket is just a script. It's a one-hour-long script, and you read through, uh, you know, you read through the dialogue and the conversations of um, two, an aunt and uncle, who are, you know, in their 30s, uh, who are taking on their niece and her new kind of boyfriend, who are about, you know, 12 years old. And they're going on this camping trip together, and um, the, gosh, this game is priceless. Like, it's it's such a funny and awkward and um, just enjoyable story of people who do not know how to behave around each other (laughs) from any direction. And uh, you say it's a visual novel, but it has one mechanic, and I love it. It has the quick turn from Resident Evil <laughs> 4. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, so it has, like, small scene where you can move around, but there's not much to do except going to the next discussion moment. But there's a quick turnaround for no good reason that lets you, like, do a quick switch, like in Resident Evil 4. And it just, I fucking love that for no reason. Yeah. I, I, I like you said that game is priceless, and um, I really loved it. I'm I'm very happy to hear that. All right, tell me about Yakuza Like a Dragon. I mean, you're the one that finished that game. I haven't finished Yakuza Like a Dragon. It's a new Yakuza game. It's their new Yakuza saga, so it's a new character, Ichiban, instead of Kiryu, which is. Probably the dorkiest Yakuza that ever existed, and he's the best person that ever existed, too. Like, he's so you're this Yakuza that believes in the best of everyone, and that is like you're get okay. The, the setup of the story is that you're getting sent to jail for 15 20 years or something, 18 years, 18 years to save. Um, to save another Yakuza in the gang from being in jail, like somebody that has a better rank than you, and you're doing all of this willingly and thinking that when you're going to get out of jail, all your Yakuza buddy will welcome you back and be happy to see you, but when you get out of jail, nobody's there, and you're trying to understand why nobody's there to welcome you and why did they turn your back on you. And for about three hours, her character doesn't believe that they forget about <laughs> him. It just, oh, they must have marked the wrong date in their calendar or something. Like, I think, I think that actually the 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 best anecdote that sort of, and it happens really early on, and this is how they sort of establish Ichiban Kasuka's character, is that on your very first mission as a yakuza crime crime boss or crime person is that you are sent to go and collect money from um from this. You're you're sent to go shake down a guy. And you go to you go to shake down this guy, and you get in an altercation. You take his wallet, you open up his wallet, you throw the money in his face, and you take the wallet, and you say, "I was here to get your wallet, I got it." And you you walk <laughs> you walk out, and you throw the wallet on your boss's desk, and he's like, "You said to get my wallet, I got it for you. You said to get his wallet, I got it for you." Uh, and then you you know you go into you realize that Ichiban is actually like a legitimately good and very empathetic person because he didn't just do this because he's an idiot he did this because he looked at the guy and said look he's taken on a part-time secondary job he had no cigarettes he had no his clothes were dirty he's clearly trying to get us this money he's you know and he sort of he analyzes the situation rationalizes it and does the the right thing because he thinks that yakuza just do the right thing and are really trying to protect and serve their community in the best way that they can and that's him that's ichiban (laughs) yeah and like, uh, I feel I haven't played all Yakuza game, but 
like all the other Yakuza game I played, uh, the main story is really interesting, has really complex character and a lot, a lot of writing. And there's always like this underlying absurd madness going on that you never know when it really is going to pop up or when you're going to be in a serious scene. And it kind of all works because of how good the writing is. Like it works at being emotional, it works at being serious, but the humor is always great and it always it's always welcome when it pops up. And yeah. Woo. Uh, okay. We talked through 20 games. I'm very excited to uh, to get into the uh, the next phase here, the next step of this, which is narrowing this list of 20 down to a list of 10 and still being friends. <laughs> Where is it now? So we, again, okay, so I don't think we've said this enough yet this year. Games are so good. Yep. They're all good. All these games are good. They're all great games. None. They should all live in harmony. But that would be boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and in the spirit of conversation and passion and argument and uh, and all these great things, we're gonna we're going to slash and tear this list of the best games of the year. I'd like to make a big statement. A big statement that you and me have basically the exact same taste as each other. I want to make a big statement that says we have different tastes than everybody else. So the first game I would go to cut would be Hades. Oh, you want to cut Hades? <laughs> oh, sh- The game of the year of probably all other websites out there, maybe? Are you ready to cut Hades? Am I ready to cut Hades? You don't have to be. Maybe you like that game way more than I thought you did. What do you think about Hades? Let me let me hear this. Let's let's so, hear okay. you want to cut Hades in the first place. I will. Okay, I really like Hades, and it's a well-made, it's a smartly made game. But a lot of the thing that people love about Hades. Um, kind of pisses me off and make me resent the game a little more. So the way they set up the story as evolving through the runs you're making is a very smart way to integrate the story in a roguelike run-based type game. That being said, for me, it made me feel that I was grinding the story out, that I was playing more of the game that I really wanted just to see more of the story. And that's one part of it. And the other thing that I know in me in that is that sometimes it's a game that has a ton, a ton of writing because they don't want you to find the exact same writing twice when you do when you meet the same character in the same run. But it ended up for me that I would see how much they would rewrite the same idea multiple times for a character to have the same character tell you the exact same concept in different ways so you don't feel that they're repeating but I would still see the repeat and it kind of pissed me off. It's smart about how it goes to, towards it, but I don't think I don't think I agree with the hand goal of having a story in a run-based game. I know uh, exactly what you mean on every front here. Um, I think that I think you are right about the story and sort of the issues that come with the writing. And I don't think any of the writing is bad. I think that you're right that there's just sort of a 
there's a lot of times where you engage with the writing and you're like, okay, but you didn't really say anything. Yep. There's, a, there's a lot of talking to someone and them not really saying anything. I think despite that, because of the art, I think a lot of the characters are really interesting. And I do sort of like get excited at sort of, you know, seeing where some of them would go and, and sort of... Um, I actually think it might be one of the best jobs of sort of humanizing and characterizing these like really you know um, tired characters yeah. really you know this is this is a mythology that is you know beaten to death and yet these are this is now in a lot of cases these these characters are all sticking out to me like if you um if you say poseidon i think poseidon in a way i do not think about a lot of video game characters called poseidon yeah and they don't they it's funny because i was playing immortal phoenix rising at the same time and they don't go immortals go exactly for the cliche and sometimes it works well, so like um, like you meet, uh, what's her name? The prettiest woman in the world. Aphrodite? Yeah, Aphrodite, thank you. And in Immortal, she forgot that she was this very petty and like shitty woman that would like uh, put her lover against each other. And you try to teach her back to be that pretty woman that hates, that uses people. And it's funny, but like it's just a play on who the character is, and it still plays with a cliche and doesn't go further than a cliche. I feel they they really did a great job in Hades at making most of these characters real character that have more nuance than all that. Like uh, I'm very in- invested in the story of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice in Hades, and it's a story like if you know mythology a, a little, you know you know the story. But I'm still invested in how Hades uh, presented those characters. Yeah, uh, I, I think all, all that is on the money. Um, I also really like um, I like the number of um, reused assets in that game in a way that sort of feels like the world that is made up of the materials that you see in it. Like there's a... Anyway, just that you see a lot of, a lot of the things that you are picking up and the collectibles and the drinks and like they sort of they find themselves in other places. They aren't just collectibles for you to use. They are things which are used by all of the characters inside of this world. Like I feel like, you know what it is with Hades? I think Hades is um, one of the most confident games that I can think of. Like everything about it is sort of, it feels like they're firing on all cylinders and it feels like everything has sort of come together and that this is the exact game they wanted to make. It feels like no compromises in its sort of delivery. And yet, there is something about it, like, I, I, I hate to say it, because, yeah, whatever, we're, we're being mean to games, even when we oughtn't be. Like, there's something about it that, because it is so good and so polished, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a little boring, though, you know? <laughs> you know, like, it's... It, it's, <laughs> it's kind of weird, because it's a perfect game. Like, it's as close as a perfect game that we've ever been to. Like, it, there's no thing in this game that you're like, okay, you missed you missed what you were trying to do here. Like, it works on all level. I just disagree with the end point, I guess. I still think it's great, but... Uh, I don't think Hades will make our list. Okay. So we can cut it. Yeah, we can... Well, how about we move it down to 20 for now? No, no, okay, let's cut it, okay. let's cut it. Let's, let's get out of this. We gotta eventually finish this thing. Let's cut well, it. I'm just gonna put there... Here. Yeah, there, that makes sense. I like that. I like knowing it's around in case we need to make a, yep. a last-minute change. Do you have uh, a game you would want to cut? I don't want to cut any game. I'm going to cut one of my own here. Okay. 
to make this a little less uh, less brutal and say that I, I feel as if I've sort of said everything I have to say about uh, Boreal Tales. Okay. I, I like that game uh, quite a bit. I think it's very, I, I said this before, but I think it's very, very rare for there to be sort of spooky or haunted or horror games that are non-combat oriented. And this really is, um, you know, one of the few. And I, I enjoyed the whole thing. Um, I think it's, it is sort of neat, and you know we'll talk about this again with with Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, it's certainly present in you know Tales from Off Peak City as well. But I like this sort of um, you know this game's outwardly political, and it's got things to say, and it's got an opinion, and it's using you know it's not a game about politics. It's a game that has politics as a you know component of a larger picture, and I uh, right. I appreciate that. And it's a small game, and I I think they did a good job with it. Cool. So. I'm gonna cut it. <laughs> So it would be my turn, and I'm gonna also cut one of my game, a game that I narrowly did not make my top 10. I didn't put Fuser in my top 10. I really love, I really love what Fuser is, and like for the, the, the few first hours, I was like just so in love with the concept of the game. And I still like it a lot. I just feel I need, like, we're too busy and like it's dumb to say I need to have a reason to go play a game and I feel I'm searching for a reason to play that game that I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy playing with this game way more than I enjoy what it gives me back in a way. Like I, there, there's no, the structure is not there. there. The structure is bad and not interesting and everything, but I still like I don't know, I still play a lot of it, and when I saw the ad Evanescence in their DLC, I still spend money on Evanescence, because you need to have, like, Evanescence song in your DJ set to have your fucking shitty Evanescence lyric plays. Um, I really love all the tools they created with Fuser, and I would buy them again if they would give me the opportunity to put whatever audio file i had on my computer it's fucking great it's a fucking great tool way more than it is a great game and i think it's a good way of learning about um musical theory too in a way um but going through the what is the main game felt more like work than playing something uh, sometimes uh, I can't believe you put Carly Rae on this list and then cut Carly Rae. Uh, I think, I think we were better to not have talked about Fuser at all. <laughs> I think you say okay. I love Call Me Maybe, but it's not our best song. It's not her best song, but it does have that most... synth, and yeah, that it... synth is very good in a game like Fuser. It's so good to put everywhere too. Do, like. Do, do. <laughs> Yeah, I think I need to say about Fuser is that sometimes you put a song and like you don't know what it's gonna sound like. Like I know um, Killing in the Name of, but like when I put, I don't know, when I put the guitar of Killing in the Name of, I don't know exactly where it's gonna fall and how the guitar is gonna sound. Whereas when I put the synth of Call Me Maybe, I know exactly what it's gonna sound like, exactly when I want it to sound like that. Uh, It's fucking great. But we're not tipping it. Hmm. <laughs> I 
feel like I need to cut one of yours now. Not not just take not just take an easy route on one of mine here. Yeah. Go for it. What if we have the same list like every year? <laughs> uh what if what would you say if we cut uh Roki? I don't think so. No. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm into hearing no. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you some of my some of my qualms about Roki, and you you okay. said it was hard to point at some flaws. Um, I do think the story is a little bit rote. You know, I, I I think in large part the linear sections of Roki do not work as well as the open areas. Um, I think in the open areas, in in the spaces where you can really interact with everything and really sort of like take in the vistas and um, and and just sort of poke and prod at the world, I think it's. I, I think it's as good as Paper Mario can be at sort of like bringing the charm and letting like the small details surface in the world. Um, but there are there are a bunch of spots where you where I, I felt like I was playing a there are a couple of linear spots that made me feel like I was playing a, a bad walking sim where I was just sort of like, OK, I see your visual metaphors. I'm just kind of like connecting point A to point B here and um and yes, I know it is sad when children go through loss. I get that. You have not taught me anything new in this moment. I loved Roki, though. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm airing my grievances about it. Uh, the thing I, I remember telling you about Roki being, it's very good, but it's a little lacking somewhere. And I feel Roki is a game that I ended up thinking a lot about after I finished it. Not because I think, like you say, the story is a little rote and like it's, it doesn't have any big surprises that are, and it doesn't evolve the formula that much. But like I, I, I would always go back to, you know, what's a great game that is well made and like per perfectly crafted, not perfectly, but very well crafted is rookie and i agree with you there's two there's a few moments that are maybe too linear and there's a few moments where you solve the puzzle before you can get to the solution and you need to enact the solution and it's kind of okay i know what i'm doing just get along with it but it's still very well made i don't know if i'm ready to cut okay I, I think that's i think that's fair i, I i'm okay. very very fond of rookie uh take a stab at it what do you what do you want to cut um, you said no one lives under the lighthouse is not on your list. No, that's true. It's not on my list. Yeah. And it feels weird to not have some PS1 aesthetic representation somewhere on this list because I played a bunch of them and I really liked uh, a lot of them. But, you know, there there are some stumbling blocks and I, I do hate the fact that there's a chase from a giant moth at the end of this game. Um, yeah. Like, I hate that a lot. Anyway, you know, it impressed me. I, I, I think in this case, I probably said what I needed to say also, and just that uh, this game did stick with me, and it did, like, narrowly make, you know, it was narrowly cut like a few others, could have made my list. I don't think that, um, I don't think that Animal Crossing New Horizon belongs on this list. Um, I'm inclined to agree with you. I am... Animal Crossing New Horizon is probably the game that went out and in my list the most of time. Most times, I am very conflicted about it. I feel uh, it's a manipulative game. In oh, it made me grind stuff for sixty hours, and I kind of resent it for it. But in the moment, it was the perfect game I needed at that moment. We can cut that, but. <laughs> 
on March, I have a note here, March 31st. So I think this game came out on the 20th. So 11 days later, I wrote down, I'm pissed about the broken tools. I just want a chest outside my house. <laughs> um, and yeah. That's just, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I also think that, you know, another problem is, you know, it is a game. You have to sort of set your own goals. And I set myself a goal of making my town flag the cover of Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion. And then once I accomplished that, it's sort of hard to top. Like, how do you up the ante from having a Carly Rae Jepsen okay, flag? I don't want to be an ass. But when I got to your town, I was, this place, like, the, the flag is cool, but the place kind of looks shitty in that... <laughs> oh! Um... Your town was organized in a very efficient way. Like there was the the, the the fruit tree were all like lined up perfectly and everything and it didn't feel organic. Whereas I was forcing myself to put stuff a little around randomly so it felt like more natural. Whereas your town was like there's a square where there's the few the on the fruit trees and like that square for is for building stuff and whatever whatever like it felt very like it felt like you just went to an island destroyed everything raised everything and then created like this very uh, point factory on this animal crossing island whereas i was trying to make something more organic it doesn't change anything i think i think that that's a fair that's a fair criticism of my island. Did you visit my house? Your house was amazing, though. Thank you. <laughs> Your house was great. Please describe my house for the audience at home. Um, what I remember about your house is getting into a room and it's empty except a doll in the very center of the house. <laughs> that just looks That's at right. And it's very creepy. And the lights remain off in that room. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just remember you were doing a horror house. And it was creepy. I had a jail <laughs> on the left side with a toilet and a dog food bowl. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. We should cut Animal Crossing. Uh I, I also I have one other thing I have to air about this game while we're sort of talking about it. So I I have really loved all the Animal Crossing games, and maybe the fact that I've played so many of them kind of is the reason why I why my island is a little bit less organic. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about previous Animal Crossing games is the conversations you would have with your villagers, and I think the the writing is still good in this game. But there was a lot a lot in in previous iterations of conversations where you would write actual responses to. Um, and you would say, like a, a villager would say like write me a letter and then you would write out a letter to them and then a month later they would be like hey did you remember this letter you wrote me it still it brings me joy and so you'd have like you'd have a lot of spaces to leave yourself mm-hmm. jokes that would show up later uh, even things like setting your your um, you could have your villagers you know like you'd set their catchphrases and stuff and every once in a while they'll be like check out this cool catchphrase I learned from so and so and I, I loved that stuff and a lot of it wasn't uh, there is game. that but I feel it takes um, a lot more time to get to so I did the letter thing just once in 60 hours so yeah okay so I guess it's in I, there maybe I, I feel like at the end of the day there's too much grinding to get to that stuff probably and like you're not the first person airing yeah. this problem with this game so I feel it's like i haven't played the other animal crossing but i'd probably be with you if i played the other ones and we're oh i was gonna say where are the gyroids but also i guess they're just there as um 
the construction points or something. Uh, but they patched them later, I think. Oh, did they? Okay. I, I didn't play yeah, after the first one. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of people were kind of afraid that the game wouldn't have some mechanics like the season that they had before, but basically they would just, they had seasonal patch and they would add that kind of stuff. So like it wasn't really missing it. They were just waiting for the season to put that stuff, but whatever. Okay. I'm cutting Animal Crossing. Um, there's only two games I think I could go for. Okay, I love my exercise. Um, this is weird. It's just a weird thing that happened and I feel like we needed it uh, to have this weird surprise. So it's published by the same publisher, but it's published by Playables, which were the developer of uh, Plug and Play. And I feel that game existed a little in the same realms as the Plug and Play in that we didn't expect it at all. It just happened to our own phone and just saw a picture of it on Twitter and was like, what the fuck is this? And so it was three bucks, bought it and kind of loved it and then told you about it and same thing. I don't think it's something, I don't know. I uh, I thank you for cutting my exercise because I I also didn't want to cut my exercise. I mean, it, it's not one of the ten best games of the year. No, it's, uh, it's so us though. Like you know, and I love just sending people my exercise. And again, it's cheap enough <laughs> that you can just send it to someone as like a almost like an e greeting. Like, hey, I have something I have to show you. Like, engage with this. Just see what happens. <laughs> you know, see how long you last yeah. on my exercise. Like. I actually quite enjoy the fact that the mechanic is like kind of tiring. Like you're just pressing the spice bar, but like it <laughs> it feeds into the uh, the idea of the game that you're doing exercise because like you're kind of tired of just okay. I need to press the space bar like fifty other time to get to the end <laughs> of that scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to argue that my exercise is more interesting or important than the other game we have here, but like it's great for what it is. Uh, I also think that we can cut South of the Circle. Uh, I would encourage you to play it. Okay. You know, there's not much more to say on it than than what I've already said, but I uh, I really liked it, and um, you know that Apple Arcade continues to be so weird. Just great games will show up, and you have no way of kind of knowing they exist. And if you try one, like sometimes they. Anyway, I just I hope. I hope that people have played this game because I thought it was very cool. Yeah. I was expecting to cancel my Apple Arcade at that time and I didn't. So good on them. Okay. So if I would cut another game in there, it would be probably rainy season, but I don't know how much you love rainy season. Like I feel you could defend this game enough for me to agree to play on there. I mean, I like rainy season a whole bunch um i don't i'm not sure i'm quite ready to cut it but we could keep we could continue to talk about rainy season if you'd like i like rainy season i i really i really liked it too um i feel i don't know i don't have much to say about it other than what you already said i like that it has a little more fantasy than anything and i like it's a game about being bored which is not something that happens a lot when you're an adult so i could empathize as I could empathize with the kid and the parents too, and the family too. Um, because like not going to the park when you wanted to go to the park and you're bored is kind of shitty. Uh, I Like I remember being a kid and being bored and expecting something and then the thing doesn't happen, as, doesn't happen as fast as you want. And you're like, why? Why not now? Yeah. 
Whereas these days I'm expecting a thing and then I wake up and it's two months later. I'm like, I didn't enjoy the thing enough. <laughs> and times just fly by. Um, and I really enjoyed that. It, it's just like, I don't have any particular issue with rainy season. It's just that I enjoy it less than some other game on there. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take this moment to say a few more things about rainy season. Um, I, I love that like there's a scene where you your grandmother is reading and you interrupt her and you sort of start like rambling at her and then you say oh I interrupted you reading and she kind of says like no no it's fine and there's such a like as an adult playing this game you know it is not fine but because she is your grandma she would never in a million <laughs> years tell you that it was a problem that you interrupted her while she was reading her book in in the same way there's another like really dumb kid moment that I think is captured so beautifully where you're, you see an ad for the amusement park on TV and it cuts to like food and everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to eat the food. I'm so excited. Wow, the food looks great. And then they turn to you and they're like, what are you excited for? And there's a moment of like, you not really knowing what to say. So you say food and obviously you don't, you are not excited about the, that is not the thing that this small child is excited about, but you're just kind of regurgitating the things that you're, you know, the people around you say. And uh, I thought that was a very sweet moment. I uh, I can entertain the idea of cutting rainy season, but maybe we uh, leave it on here for just a little bit longer. Okay. Um, I would say that, um, especially if you didn't play more of it, Monsters Expedition is probably monster a Monsters Expedition through puzzling exhibitions. Uh, I did not enjoy as much as rainy season. Okay. And with that okay. in mind, yeah, I, I, I cut, it. cut it. I felt maybe because you had played more of it, it was like a game you would defend uh, more than this. I, I, I think if I had played more of it, it would be probably a top 10 for me. Um, it's just a case of not having played enough of it. I, I think it's my favorite game of this type. Like if you were to, you know, take like a snake bird and a pushmo and, you know, right. all these like sort of just just puzzle forward games uh, i think this is probably my favorite one uh you know outside of something like the witness but that's doing so so much more but um okay yeah okay let's cut that okay so just to say we have 12 games so we need to cut two to make a top 10 okay let's okay i'm gonna run through this list of 12 here bug snacks half-life alex kentucky route zero microsoft flight simulator paradise killers Post Void, Rainy Season, Roki, Tales from Off-Peak City, Volume 1, The Last of Us, Part 2, Wide Ocean, Big Jacket, and Yakuza, Like a Dragon. This remains in alphabetical order. We have to cut two. Uh, I mean, I, I listen, listen. Listen. Nine of my top ten games are on the list right now. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, less than, uh, wait. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, nine, two. I could maybe, so I could maybe entertain cutting bug snacks out of this. But I don't think you would. I mean, I, I guess like at this point, I would sooner cut a rainy season than a bug snacks. Yeah. But, um... And also, if you're to argue for bug snacks, would you prefer bug snacks or Rocky? I would prefer bug snacks. I'm a, I'm a bug snacks kind of guy. Okay, I'm more of a Rocky kind of guy, but I'm I'd be happy to give 
uh, to clutch for a key and keep bug snacks. So you are, you the, prefer Microsoft Flight Simulator to I, all the other games on this list, or to, I, to all the other games we just named? No, but I think Microsoft Flight Simulator is a great achievement that needs, like for me, it's a number 10 game. It's a game that kind of needs to be on the list a little, like not for the same reason, but a little like we talked about that trending last year is just so stupid, strange as an object that I kind of feel it needs to be there. So if you were to cut two games from this list, yep, just your pick, like no my pick, wheeling and dealing. My pick would be Rainy Season and Bugsnacks. Huh. My pick would be uh, I do really like I think Microsoft Flight Simulator is probably a 10 best game of the year game. I, I, I it's just not on my list. Like the other thing like for me, Yakuza is not on my list, but I don't want to go into that fight. Because I can't like I've I'm 15 hours now into Yakuza and I can't love it. I can see myself getting more invested into it the more I play, so I could see it and it ending up on my list if I had finished it. And my respect Yakuza a lot. Like I'd rather cut a game on my list than cut Yakuza. Let's cut rainy season in the spirit of compromise. Um I I okay. just wanna let you know though, um as you're cutting this, I'm gonna take a moment to tell you that uh, I I tuned out for the last um, minute. I feel like you were talking about Yakuza and saying how amazing it was and how you would never dream of cutting it in a million years and it's easily one of the best games of 2021, or sorry, of 2020. And um, that's all I heard, was just Yakuza, amazing. And there was no entertaining of ever it not being on a list or any thoughts of... <laughs> I'm just saying Yakuza is not on my list, but I feel like Yakuza is not on my list. I haven't finished it. I don't know if it would have been on my list if I had finished it, but even while being on my list, like it's a game that was number 11 with Fuser, and I was like, yeah, this game deserved the recognition. Uh, I don't think it's as weird and as interesting as, say, a Microsoft Flight Simulator, but like it's still, there's a, there's a confidence to Yakuza in how they write the story and how the other confident about all those characters are interesting enough to I think I texted you, but like there's a ten minutes cutscene that opened again that is just the backstory of the boss of the Yakuza. It's not even the backstory of your character. And like when they show you that story, it could be the, like you still don't know whose character backstory it is. And it's just like it has the confidence to take the the time to show you those moments and to be this very epic 60 hour, 70 hour story that gonna go to the, the, the era of somebody pissing in the lake that you need to stop to like the era of those very important Yakuza bus that changed the whole world they were in. Yakuza is so good. Oh, 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 uh, I love Yakuza like a dragon. What yeah, a game, what a lethal experience. We're not gonna cut Yakuza for sure. This is a great list of 11 games. It's very hard to know what to cut. Um, I do think the cut here is between 
Okay, so like I mean, listen, like you love Post Void more than uh, I love Post Void, and I love Yakuza more than you love Yakuza. Like I, I understand these games are not to be cut. Post Void's not gonna get cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, like I'd, I'd agree, cutting Rocky over Bugsnacks. I feel um, like Bugsnacks might be more interesting at the end of the day than Rocky is. I just, again, like I said. I really didn't care about the gameplay of Bugsnax and it felt very finicky in moments for me, which made me kind of resent the game and that's why it's not on my top 10. But still, as a whole, it has more interesting moment and I might remember it better in the long run than I did Rocky. It's just... Yeah, I mean, I think that's it for me. It's it's a lot of those moments, like when they're in the, they're in the you know they're telling scary stories around the campfire, and then you hear that big noise, and you go and explore behind behind the fire, and it's just the the bro the bro no. Grumpus who's there with his big arms, and he's he's just looking around, and like he just basically like broke through the wall. Um, <laughs> he's my favorite character. I really love that bit where. Um... Like the other character tells him he loves him, and they're like, "Bro, we've been dating for like five years." <laughs> yeah, like and then he says, "He says, dude, remember that time we made out on the Ferris wheel, and I said we should move in together." <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, those might be the only two characters who like each other. Everybody else yeah. like fucking hates each other like <laughs> under the surface. They're like not, you know, they're none of them are like really friends, but those two are those two are great. Um yeah. Yeah, so let's cut Rocky. I would have liked to have seen Rocky. Like it's it's too bad. I I was hoping cuz like Rocky didn't make my list in a way it felt like you know, maybe it could have made this one, but if you're also not, you know. Um okay. I think that I mean I guess I think post void is the bottom of the list. No. <laughs> okay, you're gonna be surprised at how high I put post void in there. Oh no, I th- so, I think I know exactly where you put post void. Okay. Yeah, probably. maybe you know, maybe you know. Um the only issue I have with Pulse Void is the upgrade system, which is not perfect. Um, so every time you finish out of all, you have to choose between three upgrades. And it's like randomly generated upgrades, and it's stuff like uh, you're going to change your gun from a pistol to a shotgun or a knife or a machine gun, or you're going to have uh, bullets that rebound on the wall and all that stuff. And I feel that random element might be a little too much and there's a, there's a few upgrades that feel too specific for, for the gameplay thinking uh, especially about the knife so I feel like the knife is only good if you're playing a very specific way uh, like for me the knife was just something I would avoid every run through I would play and, and I feel other than this um, upgrade system it's a very very simple game but like it's a very simple game the same way a super hexagon is in that every element of that game makes sense together and there's nothing you can remove and like in my head it's like this kind of um, perfect pure experience that exists in its own space and i love Boys void so much um 
Yep. I I mean I I don't disagree with anything that you were saying. I think that like the hitbox is uh, perfect in this game. I think it is the flow, the sense of flow is perfect in this game. Um, I think the stress is amazing. I think the look is amazing. Yeah, I guess uh, at the end of the day, it's probably the slight nature of it that um, that right. ended up keeping it off my list. And like, you know, you are this game was made for you. This is. Yeah. You yeah, know, I've, I've known you for a long time. This game has you all over it. Uh, I, I really was surprised because I was hearing the name and looking at the screenshot and being, okay, well, I don't know. Like, people are liking shooters too much and everything. And then I think I bought it with another game. Like, I bought a game on sale on Steam. And I was, oh, it's three bucks. I'm just going to add it to the cart with it. And then mm-hmm. uh just playing only that game for like three hours after. Um, yeah, yeah. This game is specifically made for my interest. And um, sorry, I was gonna say, as soon as you figure out the moving backwards is like mm-hmm. such an exciting moment where all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can control this scenario a bit more than it feels like, and then all of a sudden you're you're adding that element to the mix. That... Right, and uh, it was a game that every time I would play it. Uh, I would die at the third level and be okay. No, maybe that game's too hard. I'm never going to finish it. But then there would be a time where I was, oh, I want to play some more post void. And I would get a little further that time until I managed to finish it. Like, but the first time I played it, I was like, okay, that's a cool game. That is not the kind of game I can finish. And I ended up finishing it without without ever it feeling like a, a chore or whatever i just really enjoyed my time with it and would get better every time i play it without realizing and i i i mean you're you're describing it and your your passion is burning through and i can just hear that song in my head just going Oh yeah, and the f- I think the first time I was okay, this fucking dope is the first time you finish a level and then you get in the water uh, in the in between screen between two levels and like the music changes ever so slightly just because you're underwater and just like it's a three note song, but it's so fucking <laughs> good. <laughs> um, yeah, I I love Puzzle Void. I know it's maybe not a number one game, but. Uh, Okay, so not a number 10 game, then. <laughs> no. For me, the number 10 is obviously, again, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, okay, so I, and I guess that is... The, the real question is, yeah, is it is the number 10 going to be Microsoft Flight Simulator or Bugsnags? Um, I mean, obviously, I have a fondness for Bugsnags. Um, I like saying Bugsnags. I like hearing <laughs> about Bugsnags. Um, I love that in Bugsnacks, and I know that this is like the played out one. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's played out. Bunger. It's the best It's the best thing in this whole game. It's just there's a, there's a creature, a bug snack called a bunger. It's just a burger with French fried legs, and it runs around. It goes bunger, 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 bunger. <laughs> and it is amazing. It is a joy. It is gleeful. Just I want to just hang out in a room with a bunch of bungers, just bunging yep. around. Bunger, bunger. Well, except for the fact that they're parasites. Doesn't matter. They're bungers. I love. I love them. They're my favorite. <laughs> bunger, bunger. Uh, yeah. We do, we need to talk a little more about bugs. I think yeah. 
10 and 9 would be Microsoft Flight Simulator and Bugsnax. Now, I feel we need to talk a little more about Bugsnax, how the game turns at the end, and like kind of feel, I don't know. Like, I expected that bit to be more, I don't know, people were saying, oh, don't show this to your kid, like it's gonna freak them out at the end, and maybe it would, I don't know, I don't have kids, but I kind of, I was, um, people sold me on the ending of Bugsnax so much that I expected kind of worse. I, I mean, I think the thing is that, like, you do forget that when you're a kid, you know, when, I don't know, I saw Mars Attacks as a kid and it freaked me out. Yeah, that exact same experience. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this could, for some kid, occupy that Mars Attacks experience, which is, like, it's just enough body horror. There's just something about, you know, in Mars Attacks, like, the shrinking of heads and, like, the weird, you know, surfacing of brains. And this has this, like, oh, what happens if your body turned completely into bug snack and you became, a like, a snake monster dragon cockroach creature <laughs> just made of food? Uh, and, and, like, a lot of characters die in this game. And they don't die in, like, a Disney, like, way where they get to say goodbye. Like, no, they just, they are sacrificed in in death. And they just, they get eaten by the island of bug snacks. I I was so happy that I just had one character that I had turned into full bug snack. And that they just, okay. they could just kind of, like, explode and, and die. They, they don't make it out at the end. So you're sort of, you're on the beach at the after you've sort of escaped the island. And everybody's there. And it's like, well, we didn't all make it. <laughs> Some of us got taken by the bug snacks. So I feel it was maybe a little of a victim of how I played the game because it was close to the end of the year and I wanted to finish the game. I didn't um, did a lot of side quests and all that stuff. I didn't play. I didn't hunt bug snacks more than than the game asked me to do it. So none of the character died at the end. So like I kind of got the perfect ending. Though yeah, it still get a little creepy at the end, but not. Yeah, and and you know what? Like, there are some PS5 things in it that I really like. I do. It's a very simple thing, but I do love when you like the first time that you get a strawby and you capture it, and then it sounds like it's been captured and put in your controller, and it just yells strawby, <laughs> and then like yeah. all the anim- all the bug snacks <laughs> getting like absorbed in your controller, and them just saying their names, and their names are all so stupid and great. And uh... <laughs> I mean, like even the Frider also at the very beginning, that it's like a little like ketchup container but flipped upside down with googly eyes and there's french fries like coming out of it it's it's a really good design there's a lot of great designs in this game yeah it's a really good design i you know they have their little dance party at the end that's so good i and you know i i do i continue i know i've said it before but like i do just love like it's not a very profound story or anything but i do just i love that this is a game that sort of says hey you're not always going to get along. Like, there's no easy fix. Like, life is hard. Um, but you do need to engage with the people around you, right. even if you hate them. Otherwise, you're all going to eat the bug snacks and turn into freakish monsters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that might might be it for me on bug snacks. I, um, you know what? Okay, I'll say a moment. Yeah. Dipping into uh, talking about pandemic life. So I played bug snacks. Uh, I had the Christmas tree set up. It was so this game came out in around November. And um, I remember going on a uh, going on a a walk around, and there was no lockdown or anything, so we we just went went for a walk around the park. And I remember being terrified by the number of people that were out and about on uh, on a Sunday afternoon. It was really like crowded. It had a, almost like a concert vibe <laughs> in the park. And there was something about uh, experiencing that anxiety and coming home to cuddle up with some bug snacks and these grumpus that were. Uh, 
that were oh so lovable that put me at great ease. Do we? Do we? Is there a pandemic commentary that we want to put on Microsoft Flight Simulator other than the the desperate experience to be away or be near? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much commentary on Microsoft Flight Simulator. Microsoft Flight Simulator is more. I feel it impacted me more because it was new console year, and obviously Microsoft is only on PC. But like there was this feeling to see a next gen experience that Microsoft is the one that gave it to me. Um, and again, I have uh, I have a hard time justifying that game, uh, justifying playing that game because I get in here and I'm like, okay, what do I do now after I've like managed to see Paris or whatever. But still, it's a, it's a game I think a lot about and I go back to quite often and most of the time when I open it, it's just give, telling me, oh, you need to download that 20 big gig patch and <laughs> I end up not playing it. But still, the few times I ended up playing it after I wait for three minutes for it to load because that game is massive, like it feels it feels next gen in a, in a way that wasn't possible before. Okay, here we are. What is number eight? So uh, is uh, Half-Life super high on your list or is it low? Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like Half-Life should be coming up unless you uh, you feel differently. In fact, in fact, hearing your passion for Postwoid, Half-Life's probably coming up next. The thing, I, I really like Half-Life Alex, but even though I say a lot of the interaction with uh, VR are great, I still think it didn't have a satisfying solution for the movement. I still felt a lot of the shootout, like warping around, just didn't work out well enough. I mean, it worked well enough as gameplay goes, but it didn't work well enough as a mechanic. It just didn't feel great for me um, and I'm like kind of disappointed that like you kind of expected this game to be the solution the first real triple A VR game that is going to solve everything and they do a lot of good stuff but uh, but it's not quite there yeah it's not quite there for me I still liked it quite a bit it's just so fun right like there's something about it that like when it's working it's so yep. exhilarating and you know even that very first shootout where you've kind of got your back to the pillar and you're popping out between the two sides of the pillar um and it, it just it it starts to it feels like an action movie in that moment in a way that you know nothing else quite could because of the sort of the physicality of actually like reloading guns and trying to balance you know yep you know all the tools in the in the playset we got to talk about jeff uh because i think that that is probably maybe outside of Kentucky Route Zero, um, gotta be... I, I think it's probably the best moment of the year, is that interaction with Jeff. I don't know. <laughs> no? It probably is, but I don't like horror moments of my... <laughs> like, I, I know the Jeff moment is a good moment, it's well-made and well-designed, but I was just... I want to get this over with. <laughs> oh, really? So <laughs> I... I, I mean, it... possible. <laughs> oh, no. I I also thought it was so stressful, but so the thing about this Jeff moment that works so well is that you are, you you have to cover your mouth, otherwise because if you because Jeff is exuding spores, and if you if you let go of your mouth, you will start to cough, and Jeff will hear you, and Jeff is attracted to sound, and it's this monster that's trying to kill you, so you're covering your mouth, and simultaneously, 
trying to like grab a glass bottle to whip across the room to distract them so that you can run and open like doors that make noises and it's so stressful to get Jeff into this room and you lock Jeff in this room and you feel like a, a million bucks and then it does this incredible thing of two seconds later you are okay you're like trying to connect the power wires and you realize that you need to go back into the room that yep. Jeff is in and open that door I mean that moment's perfect and then you know you know, distract him again and go back inside and I, I thought that was such a smart inventive and like legitimately terrifying horror moment because uh, even I you know like I, I don't I, I was exhilarated and I was like, oh my gosh, I do not want to touch this door that makes noise that I know has the big scary monster inside it and get face to face with this big scary monster. Gosh, I, I think it's so good. Yep. No, no, no. For, for real, that that's a, that's a piece. That set piece is perfect, but I was just... Even like reopening the door, I was just like, fuck you, Dev. Because I cannot stand scary stuff. I, I just wanted it to be done with, but like it's it's so well made. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess if we're airing grievances about this game, I do think there's also like I do think a lot of the world building is really slight. I think that the horror moments work especially well, but I I think that there are um, some of the just dialogue writing is a little bit a little bit on the weak side, especially like you know after I finished this, I went and played Portal Two, and um, and obviously that is so strong. Uh, I guess it's at the end of the day, like I couldn't even tell you what the narrative of Half-Life Alex is. So I guess that's kind of another big issue. But. Yeah, I wasn't, I, I've never been that invested in the Half-Life series personally. So I'm one of the weirdos that on Half-Life 2 day, uh, I'm one of the weirdos that bought Vampire instead of Half-Life. <laughs> like I've been, I've never been such an Half-Life person. So I felt like, uh, a lot of the moment that we're supposed to hit in the story, I just couldn't care less. But I don't know if it was because I didn't know, I didn't have the, the knowledge needed, or if it just was that the story wasn't that great. I, I, I definitely think it's just the story not really living up to uh, living up to snuff. I don't know, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about Half-Life Alex that I really wanted to sort of speak on. I guess not. I mean, there, there are tons of, you know, there are little moments like using the electricity in the wall and then eventually like having to like you know remove a painting to get to to get to an area that you could go inside like i thought that was like a cool moment but stuff like we already talked about it but the fact that a lot of the scene in this game are like horror thing where slow zombies are coming up to you and the act of reloading is more than just pressing a button and sometimes you're gonna fumble the simple act of reloading because you're fumbling it, not because your character is too stressed out, but because you are too stressed out. And that makes something that is taken for granted in video games interesting again. Yeah. And I think all that is super strong. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I guess we'll throw in Half-Life. Number eight. Okay. Number eight. Okay. This was this was early pandemic days. Yep. I remember. I I have to tell you that information. So it was during the summer or beginning of uh, um, spring, and playing VR game. I was such a sweaty mess after an hour, <laughs> and I felt kind of bad for all the sweat that was in. I mean, I cleaned the VR headset every time I would play, but like I would just be 
I felt very icky playing those games sometimes. Uh, I mean, v- VR is a little gross, but yep. uh, it is what it is. <laughs> what would you propose is our next game, our number seven game? Uh, for me, there it would probably be Last of Us. Is Post Void better than Last of Us? Obviously, it is. <laughs> interesting. This is an interesting proposition. Post Void or The Last of Us? I also think we haven't talked enough about The Last of Us in a way. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at how much I like The Last of Us Part 2. I'm happy to hear you say that because I got the feeling that you you were not so hot on The Last of Us Part 2. I felt like like when I finished it, I felt like I was just inundating you with messages about how good it was and how everyone was wrong with The Last of Us 2. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in theory that I I agree with the people saying bad stuff about that game. Like the fact that the, um, like, oh, a lot of people were disappointed. Oh, it rewrites the ending of the first one. And they're right about the fact that he rewrites the ending of the first one. But at the end of the day, I think I prefer what it does with its new found themes than the first game, personally. I mean, I think it's also just in large part that the the characters, the, the new, there are more interesting, there's a greater volume of interesting characters in The Last of Us Part Two than there were in the first game. And I, I feel like that first game takes so long to, you know, really, I, I think the first game is kind of Ellie the whole way through until Joel finally makes, you know, a character revelation in the last 10 minutes of the game. Right. Whereas in this game, you know, Abby has, there's so much going on with Abby, there's She's like a fascinating character to follow. Yeah. And I still have a lot of problem I have with AAA games trying to be realistic. Like, in, I, I didn't like, um, like, there's a set pieces uh, early in the game where you get in a car and, like, suddenly you have unlimited ammo and you're just shooting people out of the car and going crazy. But I think the gameplay in this game, as mean as it gets, sometimes is way better than the first one. And I was very surprised at the fact that I enjoyed playing this game, whereas I didn't enjoy playing the first one at all. I, I think that the this game, I, I, and I'm also surprised at the the discourse around it because I think the gameplay of this is so so strong, uh, in a way that I don't. It's like I almost feel like no one talked about how good it was because it's it's definitely a like they looked at Metal Gear Solid Five as their their sort of high watermark to meet, and I feel like they exceeded it in terms of just the. Um, just the, the feel of the, the sort of stealth and situational awareness. I, I think it's so impressive that this game doesn't have a mini-map and that you are constantly able to sort of cope with that and, and kind of intuit where people are going to be and figure out how to set up traps for them and um, and use these spaces that you have no reason to know how they work and kind of on a first pass be able to do something correctly. And It really does make you feel that you're doing like guerrilla warfare against those bunch of people and obviously at the end of the day you still kill 200 people and way too much people but like in the moment it feels like you're this lonely character stacked against too many people and finding creative ways to manage that. Uh, and I, I, I think it's probably the best game at uh, simulating the going in and out of stealth. So going out to just kill two people very quickly and you get seen, but you can get in stealth very quickly again and get lost 
in the fray and in the chaos that you just created. And I think the game's really good at that. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of the... You know, I feel like, like people sort of played up the narrative as if it doesn't... As if it somehow doesn't work or something, but I, I think all of it sort of structurally makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't... Um, I even felt like I, I didn't feel as if Ellie was made a whole cloth monster in the way that she sort of, I feel like she has been described. I mean, she's still a pretty bad person. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about that, but it's not, um, it's not unearned, right? Like I didn't feel like at any point it made some type of, like she made some type of sociopathic flip that betrayed her original character or something. Like I, I feel like they're, they do a no. pretty good job of reminding you what her motivations are and why she does this monstrous stuff. And it just so happens that she's not a good person. Yeah, I mean, for me, it felt a little more honest than, like, say, like, you compare that to a cyberpunk that's like, oh, life is shit and whatever, like, and never managed to create a real character out of that. Whereas Ellie is not, it's not a good person. I still think she's kind of a bad person, but like, she felt more realistic as a bad person and more the kind of bad person where I could understand all they got there. And it just didn't feel like some edgelord shit to be edgelord shit, but also for me, and I'm someone that had a lot of problem with how uh, The Last of Us, the first game presented stuff, for me it just felt really, I was, it's finally quite honest with what you're doing in most AAA game. Yeah, absolutely. Which is just like complete carnage. Yeah, and then and then they... You know, they yeah, okay, that's it. It's complete carnage. But then they also have they 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 still continue to have character moments that um okay, so they they accept that you're going to murder hundreds and hundreds of people and you're gonna have to accept that too and pretend that it's not as unrealistic as it is. But the the way that they ground you is by making these characters um have sort of like touchstones inside the world, like Abby being you know, Abby mentions that she's afraid of heights and then they put her in a situation where she's Right. tackling that fear very specifically and i think that that uh that works to keep her a little bit more grounded inside of their you know nonsense ludonarrative dissonance yeah. carnal <laughs> carnage thing but but what i mean is i have less problem i had less uh narrative dissonance issue in this one than the first one because at least the 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 fighting always felt honest with what the character were trying to do mm. more than in the first one to me you mean like in the first one it made sense that they would just kind of like try and stealth through and not fight whereas in this one she was definitely on a murderous revenge quest and was ready to yeah and obviously it doesn't make any sense that you're killing 400 people but at least it felt more in line with the character and how broken the character is i don't know that's a personal pet peeve of mine uh that just maybe explain why i why i connect more with this one than the first one but um, I'm trying to think. It's funny because I, I I feel like this is the one that because it's the one that we spoke the most about. I'm trying to think what we haven't or what we we spoke most about in the course of playing. I'm trying to think what we haven't discussed here for our our posterity. I don't know. I still have, like I said, I still have some issues with some set pieces, but they feel very small in the grand scheme of things. Like there's a bit where, with Abby. I think it was in the trailer where you're fighting a bunch of zombies hand to hand, and it just felt crappy. Um, but like it's still there. There's there's a few moments in there I don't love, but they feel small in in context. I, you know, I even and and this is what I mean about it being sort of like a pulpy thing. Um, I even really feel like their their breaking up of the narrative ended up working for me, where I 
like I understand this is probably a game that they had to re-edit because it, it probably didn't work you know as a linear story or they couldn't find a way to you know intermingle them properly but I, I was really enraptured by their the beats in the plot where the characters would where you knew the characters were about to meet up or were about to just miss each other like specifically in the um in the theater and uh in the aquarium right and like i did feel i I felt that excitement around oh my gosh are that you know what is this cutscene going to be and like are these characters going to connect and what's you know how does this play out uh and again you know i I don't think there's anything really you know revolutionary in there and you know they're this is not a game that like made me feel incredibly emotional at, at any particular point other than maybe a couple of moments around the awkwardness of Joel. Like I think Joel's awkwardness hit me harder than most things, but um but I did just just thoroughly enjoy seeing how the story played out. Like it it, it had a, a melodramatic quality that made it um hard to put down. And um how do you feel about the length? I I was not tired of the loop, even though it's on the longer okay. side. I think that that might be because I was playing it with Anna, so we were trading the controller. Okay. So I I so, almost felt like most of the time I was not like I was I was always ready to try it again because I thought the gameplay was so fun. But. This is a very stupid me point. I don't know if it's gonna make sense to you, but it's because we're assholes. Uh, this game shouldn't be shorter. It's it's the right length or it should be longer because you need to feel exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like the, it's the raid two conundrum for me. The raid two needs to be two hour and a half because people are exhausted by the end. Like (laughs) a a little, like you think about Red Dead Redemption two, every time you were, Oh, I think it's going to hand. Like the first time you get on the farm, you're like, Oh, this is the ending of the game and then you realize Ellie's gonna go back and destroy everything she has to go on a revenge quest and there was a part of me that was okay I'm tired of the game just finish it but like I felt like I needed to be tired this way for the game to make sense to me I I totally get it yeah I like yeah this game shouldn't be shorter that uh, that vignette was uh, was very beautiful I thought that whole farm sequence was just just on a visual level, so so stunning. Yeah, and I really like how they do the the flashback trauma and that stuff. Uh, sounds like Last of Us, uh, Last of Us Part Two, number seven. Yep, for me, for you, whatever. <laughs> so I'm starting to be curious. How high do you have um, Yakuza? I'm starting to get a little curious. How high you've got Post Void? I have Post Void very high. I I, I have Yakuza very high on my <laughs> list. <laughs> I'm quite happy for you. I'm surprised. Like uh, I remember you saying, "Oh, am I I'm gonna have Yakuza? It's the kind of game like I'm done with my top ten. I can play Yakuza. It's gonna be an easy game to get lost into." And then you end up being surprised so much by it. I end up being a top ten game for you. I adore this game. It is it is a game that every time I see it written down, every picture I see, every time anybody's talking Yakuza, I am I am here for it. It it, um, it makes me smile a lot. I uh, yeah. I like it. I am still at the beat in Yakuza where I'm supposed to go see um, a Yakuza bus or something. Okay, so I went to the whole people house and uh, punched people in there. 
and then I need to go see the boss of the Yakuza that was doing this whole operation. Oh, oh, wow. So I'm still, you're I'm you're still, still so early. early. Yeah. <laughs> you're still in the, the um, sort of like what I, what I like to think of as the heist window of, <laughs> of the game. There's still a lot of very heisty tone to everything going on. Yep. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how when it comes time to play Yakuza, how I'm going to uh, to go about, you know, specifically getting into the details of it. Because at some, at some point, I started trying to, in my head, like, map out what the plot of Yakuza was. And there are so many, like, super early plot threads that are set up in, you know, the begin the first third of the game that aren't paid off forever and ever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so at some point, I was like trying to think like, i was just trying to think okay how do you talk about the beginning of yakuza and it's like okay there's set there's a setup of about 10 storylines in the first hour and it's really like every character storyline and their interweaving relationships and how everything kind of fits together i'm very excited for you i'm so happy that you still have this game to play and i'm happy that you have kind of turned a corner and are excited to kind of go back to it i, I know that it is you know it is a lot of cutscene in that early going. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, my issue with Yakuza is, is that it's a lot of investment. That being said, like at the beginning, I, I had a hard time getting into it. Uh, some of the reason because of that is I feel uh, Yakuza Zero starts quicker. I I just started Yakuza Zero like just two days ago. I, I played the first hour of it, and, and I, I I'm I'm already into it. Like I'm enjoying Yakuza Zero. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to see okay. more. I was kind of floored by how how much lower quality the production of it is. And that's not, you know, it's clearly a money thing, but like when you think about Yakuza Like a Dragon is there's it 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 starts off with like an hour of cutscene all voiced in English and with, you know, with camera work and and you know, they're full cutscenes. But there's still a lot of cutscenes that are just like standing people standing and like you build on true text. Yeah, but Yakuza Zero is a lot of of like actual still frames. Okay. Um, and this is in in the first hour. Okay. Like a dragon will have more, you know, over the shoulder shots and just kind of flipping back and forth. Like it's all kind of happening in engine. Oh, that's true. There's, yeah, that's true. I forgot that Yakuza Zero has like just still frame with text. Yeah. On them. Um, so that was that was surprising to me because it made me think like, oh wow, these games must be selling well enough since that they were able to kind of go ahead and animate. Right. Everything. Right. Um, which was cool. I mean, listen, I, I'm I'm down to even plot aside. I am into talking about uh, more Yakuza like a dragon. This this is a game that is so aggressively happy and so constant that uh, at some point you, you reach, you know, there, you go through phases in this game because it's quite long. It's, you know, a 60-hour game. Uh, and there are periods where you will be doing just like a lot of side quests back-to-back. And... Um, one of the the sort of tells of this game is that there there's a very 80s music that will come on whenever anybody has like learned a lesson or yep, someone yep. has kind of like come around or, or like you know started to see the world in a new way the Seinfeld music yeah basically <laughs> um there are there there's a really early side quest that I, I you know I think it makes sure that you encounter where a young a young man who's rushing from work and he's trying to go get uh, baby formula for his uh yep uh for his wife and um he, he gets uh, approached by a bunch of muggers and you def- you know you knock them off and then all of a sudden after you've after you've like defeated all these muggers you hear a baby crying from a brothel 
And because you, Ichiban Kasuga, was born in a brothel, you feel like a special connection to this. And you're like, oh my gosh, we have to go like look after the person who's giving birth to this baby. We have to go get milk. And so you, you know, you basically split up to go and, you know, get everything that you're going to need. And you go inside to where you heard the baby crying and you get in there and there are a bunch of Yakuza crime boss in just full-grown men in diapers because uh, they are exploring a fantasy of theirs at the brothel. And it's it's very funny because it's so absurd. But then eventually the businessman uh, comes in and, you know, to deliver the formula. And then... Um, you know, he explains the situation and he's like, okay, well, I had it on hand because I was going to get it for my wife. And they were like, well, you need to run to, you need to go and like look after your family. You know, a baby needs attention. And they start lecturing the man, like, because they know a lot about being babies and what a baby would need. And so he starts to learn a lesson about being a better father and spending more time with his family. And it's so delightful. And like, there are so many situations, there are so many like little stories like this where. Uh, eventually you just start getting like hammered over the head with the goodness of this game and how good all the people are and there's it's it's you know it never felt to me overbearing because they do such a good job of establishing ichiban so you almost sort of feel like ichiban's goodness is rubbing off on other people more than any everybody around you being good yeah anyway and you start collecting pound mates and they're all all these different pound mates who come to rally behind ichiban because of the ways that he has helped them and pound mates are summons inside this you know, Final Fantasy-esque world. And it even gets weird. Like, there's... I, I'm going to spoil one quest for you. No, for sure. There's there's one... Um, I, you know, I, I'm going to go for a different one here, actually. I, I'm going to go to this persimmon tree, because I really like the persimmon tree, and I don't know how many side quests we want to talk about from Yakuza <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Like a Dragon. But the persimmon tree is just that there there is a... There's a tree, like, kind of near the survive bar, um, like, kind of near your home base, and there is a, there's a girl who looks out the window at the persimmon's tree, and she's very sick... And she, um, she, she thinks that when the last persimmon falls from the tree, she will die. And so Ichiban is like, "Well, oh my gosh! Like I have to inspire this this young girl who's uh, who's who's put so much stock in this persimmon tree." And so every time you walk by the tree, there will be some new person who's doing something ridiculous. Like at some point, there is a there's a sumo wrestler who's like practicing on the tree and he's punching the tree. And then Ichiban's like, "No, you have to stop. <laughs> you can't do that." And he's like, "Well, what am I going to punch then if I'm not punching this tree?" He's like, "I know, I'll punch you." And then you defend <laughs> you defend the tree. And then the sumo wrestler's like, "Wow, I could tell I could tell that you know whatever you're protecting is very important, Ichiban." Uh, later on, there's a you 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 know you go back again and there's a um, there's this kid, he's like performing a ri- like a, a ritual on the tree, and he's like hammering into the tree, and it's because he's upset that a you know the girl in his class wouldn't date him, and so you teach <laughs> you teach this kid that this is not you can't like trick someone into dating you, you have to be like a genuine person, and there anyway it just keeps happening over and over again until you protect the persimmon tree, and the girl comes down and thanks you, and uh, and they play the eighty the cheesy eighties music, <laughs> <laughs> but like. The number of moments where there are like individual one-off stories that are like just captivating that you actually want to see through is um, it's staggering. Like I, I think the the vast majority of them I really enjoyed. What is crazy about this game for me, and maybe a little a little flaw of the game, but also like a surprising quality is that uh, you're telling me about all those stories, and I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of those also in Yakuza Zero that I've seen. And uh, it's crazy how much content they're doing that is great. Yeah. Like, on me- like obviously, I've only played Yakuza 0 and this one, so... But, like, 
there's a bunch of stories in those two games, a lot of stories in those two games that are interesting and funny and thoughtful and um, uplifting in a way that you don't see in many other games. And it feels like if you listen to the critic of the Yakuza series, uh, it feels like they're cranking those constantly. Um, so I don't know if they're the best bunch of writers in the world, I don't know, but they seem pretty good at cranking very funny, great stories all the time. You know what? You know, and it's funny to to sort of bring this up because I don't, I don't, you know, and I, there are other jokes I want to make. That a lot of them, there are a lot of good sex jokes in this game, even though it also has some like weird things around yeah, uh, around sex in it too. But it almost kind of reminds me of uh, Saints Row at some parts because of just like the level of positivity in the game mm-hmm. and the sort of like no holds barred nature of it all. That um, that it, it's hard not to just sort of feel upbeat from this thing. Yeah, like there's a there's a guy. Um, I'm talking about weird sex joke things. There's a, there's another side quest where you meet a guy. Um, uh, you meet a guy named Mr. Mr. Masochist, and um, and he's a guy who's like he's really struggling because he just wants to feel and he just can't find anybody. And then later on, you meet a you know an, uh, a woman who's like she's kind of like teased by her peers, but she really likes you know punishing people. And eventually, like you matchmaker these two together. <laughs> and it's, it's just like ends up being this incredibly sweet thing inside of this really absurd and silly right. scenario. But it's like, um, I need to spoil a moment from Zero, but like um, one of the, your character goes to the bathroom in Zero and there's kind of a graffiti on the wall of the bathroom and your character look at the graffiti. I don't remember what it is. It's like, I think it's my mom is in a call, help me or whatever. And then it just pops in the side quest unlock thingy after looking at the graffiti in the bathroom wall. And it's such a clever, I don't know, it's such a clever way to introduce a side quest and it feels like, you know you're getting in a Yakuza game and there's going to be, I don't know, 60, 70 side quests and whatever. They're going to be mainly just fights and uh, going around and doing stuff. But the way they introduce them and it always, at least 80, 90% of those always feel like they're introduced in a clever way. And uh, I'm just surprised that they always manage to find ways to make them still interesting after all this time. And that's just the side quests. Yep. I mean, while we're here, you know, I'll, I'll keep going and say that even in the main quest, you know, just going back to the to Ichiban and what a great character he is uh, and what a great, like, band of heroes they are. Like, I love that this is a game about a bunch of 40-year-olds who are, and, you know, not even just 40-year-olds. There's some young people in your party there, but, you know, Ichiban himself is 40. But it's, you know, at some point someone said, you know, and he loves his Dragon Quest, so a lot of the game is told in Dragon Quest metaphors. Uh, you know, he just wants to be a hero, like, in Dragon Quest and... um at some point, uh, I think it's Namba says to him, like, hey, you know, you're 40. It's not the best time to start grinding. But they they decide <laughs> they decide that, like, it doesn't matter and they're just going to try and they're going to, you know, go out there and do the, you know, be the best people they can be and help the world as much as they can and really try and be heroes. And this idea that, like, it's never too late to it's never too late to make a difference. And yep. uh, what a joyful, upbeat thing. I think it goes higher than okay. where it is. I think it's uh I think it's pretty high up there. I could see it being pretty high up there. Do we uh what do, what do we think is next year? Hmm. I would um, either put 
if we agree that Yakuza is higher, I would either put uh, Paradise or Wide Ocean there. I'm thinking, I think Wide Ocean might be coming up. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, it just, I think Wide Ocean is just like super fun. I, it's probably the the slightest game we still have on there. Uh, it does do a, a couple of things that I, I really, um, you know, I really do appreciate, e- even in what it's doing with the camera and, and like the way that the camera is used to, to, um, to sort of direct you. Uh, I, I like the, I like the fact that sometimes when you're having conversations, it does the, that 70s show sort of like panning around the campfire as a way to tell goofs and having the characters each sort of like progressing through the night. So it's kind of the cameras behaving as a clock as the, ca- as the characters are changing in their responses to each other. I... I love that ghost story so much when you are sitting at the campfire and the really nerdy kid Ben ends up telling you this pretty twisted gross story <laughs> about he he's like telling a ghost story about basically feeding rats in his sink and every day giving them a little bit more food and there's more and more rats until the rats are spilling out of his sink and his mom has to come and save him and she turns on the garbage pack compactor and you can hear the cries of the rats as blood splatters <laughs> <laughs> through the kitchen and it just comes out of fucking nowhere <laughs> um but that's kind of like that character shtick because this is the same character who at some point like you're going to get wood for the fire and he's just talking to the uncle and he says to them like do you think you're gonna get divorced and and the, and the uncle says no i don't think so i'm not hoping to anyway and then the kid responds and he's like I think my parents are going to get divorced. You know, <laughs> you know, there's a 50% chance of getting divorced. So, you know, if mine get divorced, then your marriage is going to last. <laughs> it's such a priceless moment. Um, yeah. I, I love that they're, your main character is a fucking dork. Um, and I feel that that can go wrong a lot of ways into game that create the self-aware. I mean, it, it, they managed to not make them self-aware that they're dark in a way. Like, obviously, you know, as, as the the creator of the game and as the player, that they're just a bunch of dorks. But um, it's not made in a wink and not mood. It's just like they're, 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 they are at this part of their life where they're just a bunch of dark and they don't know what to do with their fucking skin and how to live in their own body and like express any thoughts in any coherent manner yeah they're they're young enough to be like naive and uninformed and also you know they want to be with the adults and doing cool adult stuff whatever that might mean like divorcing yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and while i don't have anything much uh, to say against the game it's just that like it's probably the smallest game we still have on there that would put it at number six. Oh, we're getting we're getting in there. Top five. You like Post Void more than Paradise Killers? I do. But Paradise Killers got that music. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I really like Paradise Killer. I think we also Evan. There's stuff I want to say about the game. So one of my biggest issues with Paradise Killer is how much of a collectathon it is sometimes. Yeah. It's not that big of a collectables game, but like you don't realize how much collectible you need for a while. So I was collecting too much shit. Uh, on the other hand, the thing I really like about Paradise Killer that maybe it didn't hit you the same way, but it's a game the geometry and the level design of the game is made like those uh, 
early 2000 or even late 90s first person shooter on the PC that had platforming for no good reason. Yeah, it totally, it, it's like an old, um, what were they called? KZ maps in Counter-Strike? Was that what they were? Right. It has a lot of bad first person platforming, but like in a nice way, it feels nostalgic of those platforming section in game that you were like, am I supposed to be doing that? Am I supposed to like platforming that was presented so badly that it didn't, you didn't know if it felt, if it was part of the design or you were just like bugging through the game right now. And I'm quite light how much I love it is uh, with those kind of level design. I quite like some part of the level design. It's never hard platforming, which makes it fine to go through. Uh, my biggest issue with the game just ended up that coming to the world wasn't that interesting. There's some clues that you find in the world, but not that many, and most of it is just collectibles. It definitely took it took me a while to sort of like reconcile with okay, this game is in fact a you know it's an adventure game first, but it's also a first person platforming collectible game. Um, yep. And once I had sort of accepted that uh, and sort of recognized that there were kind of two games happening, I, I was okay with it. I wish there was a way that they had kind of made that a little bit more clear at the jump. Yep. But I really like that. The, the level of cohesiveness in the world is um, really impressive. Like even, you know, like your cursor's a heart. The music is a, you know, a very specific like 80s, 90s style that works. Um, the way that the characters talk and behave and move and sound, like it all kind of matches together in a... Uh, in a way that I, I think works really well. And I, I love how often the characters talk about, um, like, smell and taste, which is something that, like, a lot of games don't really engage with just because, you know, they're games. But, like, I feel like all the characters are constantly like, oh, like, your perfume smells good, or, oh, this whiskey tastes this certain way. And, you know, I just thought that was a, co- a cool touch inside this game. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I think the, the aesthetics of this game go a very long way. Yeah, one uh, wanna... Another thing I would like to comment again for is that I feel like the detective game is like a nut that a lot of developers are trying to crack right now. And like there's been Oberdin, there's been her story, and there's a ton of way to go at it. And I feel um, seeing Paradise Killer for the first time and seeing how it works, like the dialogue work more as a visual novel than anything else, I felt that maybe it wasn't the best. It wasn't as impressive as an Oberdin way to go at it. That being said, uh, what I really love about the detective story in that game is that at the end of the day, you're just choosing who's guilty and who's not guilty with the info you have, and it never tells you if you're right or wrong. Yeah, there's there is a there is a moment there is a moment in that game, and I I definitely had, and I don't know if everybody else does, but I definitely had a, a thought where I was. I was wondering, like, wait, are they all guilty? Are they all in on it? Like, yeah. is everybody doing? Like, <laughs> did everybody do it? Uh, which is cool, uh, and I don't think that is the case. That's not where I landed anyway. But... No, that's not where I landed either. But like at the end of the day, like the solution to the mystery is way more freeform than I expected it. And I was quite happy to see that. Ah, oh, that music. Yeah, I, I love Paradise Killer. Um, I I love it more than I love Post Void. But uh, you love Post Void. Uh, I love Post Void. <laughs> and what you thinking about Tales? Off-peak. You know, Tales from Off Peak uh, is, I mean, is also a game that I, I absolutely love. Um, 
I don't know where where to come at it from. I like that the town and the world feel so decidedly alive, and it's like a very small game, but I, this is another one where the sight lines are so important, and um, I like that, you know, it's obviously the, the theming of it is all very jazz, um, and then everywhere that you go has sort of like a rhythm to it. Like, even you right. encounter, like you find that building where there's, you know, the cats, and they're swinging their tails back and forth, and they're, you know, they're they're matching the beat of the world around you. I just like, I like a lot of the personality. I liked being in that place, despite the fact that it's almost a little bit aggressive in its, uh, in its right. aesthetic. Yeah, I was surprised at how well designed that game is. I feel a little like a gun on, I don't know, like you think about a walking simulator, I, you don't think the design is that important because the gameplay is not that heavy inside, but look, the level design in that game is pretty stellar. Uh, and I feel it shows in a way like, you said every corner of that, like it's a very small world, but every corner feels filled and alive and important in its own way. But also uh, when you get into a room, uh, the game switches stuff outside without you knowing that when you're going to get out of the of a house or a small apartment or something like that, the world will have changed in very meaningful way very quickly. And I feel how the... I just feel felt it was perfectly tuned all the time and how it was much better designed than it needed to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that in in some ways this is what jazz punk would be if jazz punk were trying to have a um, trying to be less of a joke game and have a little bit more going on in its you know actual conversation. Uh, like like the stuff where, for example, like when you reach, I think it's after your first delivery, you get to the top of the building, and then all of a sudden you kind of take like a pinball slide out of the of the building. That's like a good moment. It's still pretty fucking funny, but like it gets there. The writing is weird, but like it gets there. It gets under your skin in strange ways sometimes. Um, to the point where I felt like the ending was a little scary. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. I like that the buildings literally talk. <laughs> yep. And you can you can feel me uh me getting more tired here as I'm struggling to piece together my Well the thing is frankly from the game we have there I don't mind that much what the order is. I mean there's one thing I really want to happen. Yeah, but I feel we agree on the number one. Yeah, but what's number two? Unless we don't. Would you Okay, is Yakuza your number two? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I really did not expect that. Um, Puss Void is my number two. I mean, I yeah, I mean that I expected. <laughs> so it's exactly yeah, it's exactly what we thought. Like it's basically the the game that was made perfectly for us that the other doesn't have on his list. Is which is all always two. the way of it. Right. Post void above. I mean. I mean. Okay. Okay. Also, they're impossible to compare because, like, post void is this three-minute, very well polished thing, whereas Yakuza is like seven hours rambly happiness that just <laughs> like goes in all different oh, directions. That game is so good. Okay, hold on. I need to. Um, hey, do you have any pound mates? Uh, yes, I got the babies. I got uh, what's the other one? I mean, I got the babies. I got the the, the yakuza babies. Um. So that's it, huh? 
So have you used them all? Have you like actually summoned them? Uh, every time I get one, I summon them first thing. Okay, so I mean, you, so you're familiar with the way that uh, that you summon them, where yep. you're, you're you're in a fight and um, and you uh, you know you you know he Ichiban. Hold on a second. And Ichiban's in the fight, and you're you're having a battle, and then you know he grabs his phone, and the the sky turns to lightning, and he uh, he yells, he goes, "It's time to call!" And then like he you know he kind of pulls his hand up into the sky, and then he's like bringing his finger down with such force towards his, towards the phone, and he's just he's he's bringing it closer, <laughs> closer. Yes. And uh, and then he says, "A friend." And he. Pre- what up? Hey, hello. I'm the friend. We're pound mates for real. <laughs> hello. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on Yakuza like a dragon? Oh my god. Like kicking and like I'm doing like 17 uh, jumping jacks and I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do them now. Okay. Oh, oh my god oh wow it's very impressive uh yeah i just i love it so much it's you know like any point of your life you could just be a good person you don't have to be like young he comes out of jail and he's like this homeless guy and it's just great wow you really put me on the spot i just saw a time to call a friend and i just all, all i knew is i had to kick down the door okay wait if he's talking, I can't even fucking hear him. This is a very unprofessional setup. I thought I would be added into You're the palmate, Anna. Person, you know? That's another thing about Ichiban. He treats everyone with fucking respect. <laughs> I'm sure this is going to play out great. I I feel as if um, I like Tales from Off Peak City more than I like Paradise Killers. Paradise Killer. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, this is so hard. Paradise Six, Tales Four, uh, Five. Sorry. I think that's right. I mean, that's where my passion is. It has to like if it if it means Yakuza moves up. If we're if we're loving Yakuza and Post Void as much, we need to wait. Is there a game missing? Oh no, okay. There's there's one number too much. Sorry. So basically, the fight would be Post Void or Yakuza number two and three, and then we have Kentucky number. I mean, one. Kentucky Route Zero is number one. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm still. It's midnight. I'm I'm I, I'm normally in bed at ten o'clock, so this is like me going. I'm still willing to start this all over to say that maybe Kentucky Route Zero episode one through or episode act one, two, three, four, five, and interstitial one, two, three, four, five might be the ten best games of the year. Maybe we scrap the rest of these games. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel the 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 thing with Kentucky is that I kinda like the hyperbole to just say how good it is. And yeah. Okay, Anna's back. She's got she's got some feelings on Yakuza. I do. 
I just like Yakuza so much because it's like one of those um, just it's a genuine game and like games are all about fantasies and like uh, power trips and stuff like that but the main thing of Yakuza is helping others and it's not through uh, like turning Super Saiyan or power-ups or fighting or anything like that I do really think the real game of Yakuza 7 like a dragon is helping the people like you find around town and just doing very small things because that's things that you could do in your fucking real ass life that I think should be more um, prevalent instead of you know I mean there's a place for all kinds of games but I just like that that it's a very much you can bring that into your real world of helping others maybe perhaps like the old lady across the street Maybe she just needs some fucking, what the fuck's it called? Kimchi. It's just some kimchi you got from a guy in a parking lot. You know, that kind of thing. And that's why I actually really like Yakuza. And Ichiban is one of the best characters in the world. And like I was telling Raph this this morning about how he's like Jesus. You know, Jesus like chilled with prostitutes and stuff. And no one likes to talk about that. But that was like his thing. You know, he had a friend betray him. It didn't go that well in the Bible <laughs> compared to Yakuza, but like, you know, kind of similar. He died for his dad. His dad told him to go down for him. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, I don't know if you want that super hot take on your podcast that Ichiban is Jesus, but I'm just going to put it out there and see what it is. But, but uh, in, all, in all seriousness, I do just like the... Um, genuineness and the helping others is the real kind of deal in the game and again it doesn't matter where you are in your life and uh that's it i i think that's pretty good what do you think i think it's great thank you for hopping in to get, share some yakuza yeah bye <laughs> it is too bad you haven't played more yakuza yeah well i feel like that in the spirit of compromise and because you brought you you felt like you needed to um bring a pun made <laughs> <laughs> to put Yakuza number two. I think I can be okay with postponing <laughs> maybe big number two. Can I uh I I think this is very this is very gracious. I very much appreciate <laughs> Um, I, I have to say one other, this is maybe my favorite thing in Yakuza and it's, it's a very, it's a very, very small thing, but, uh, at some point you can go to the vocational school. I don't know if you've done that yet, Yeah. but you can take classes and whenever you successfully pass a class, you, um, you get your grades back and you stand in the middle of the hall and you, oh, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and you put your paper up in the air when you got it right. And then all the like all your all your chums all your like schoolmates come rushing out to the center of the room and they pick you up and they start lifting you up in the air and throwing you up and down and they go you're the man you're the man and um i wish i could have that all the time in my life just occasionally <laughs> when things go right i just have a bunch of kids show, well, a bunch of people show up my peers show up and they start lifting me up and go you're the man um what a what a glee yeah and you haven't gotten there yet but also just while i'm espousing or while, while i'm going on about the the joys of yakuza I Bleach Japan ends up being a thing that uh, that plays into that game in a big way, and I was never expect. I thought it was like a throw off goof, but like really, a lot of the things that happen in that game story really end up being meaningful and um, looping back around in smart ways. Right. 
Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Are we ready to talk about Kentucky Route Zero? I mean, yes, but also like, like you said that, like I don't want to sound uh, dire against Kentucky Route Zero, but I'm also a little bit intimidated by it. In that, like you said, uh, you felt weird that someone younger than you wrote this. And uh, as a game developer myself, there's a lot of moments where I see other games and I'm like, okay, I can do that, or I can do writing of that level, or I can, like, I could do that if I had the right tools or whatever, but can Hero Zero is that kind of piece that feels like it exists on another level for me. And not that my writing itself is bad, it's just that there's something I don't know. There's something about Kentucky Route Zero. It kind of feels that it didn't even come out this year. It kind of felt like this perfect masterpiece that existed for all the time and we just uncovered it. And it came from the sky or something. <laughs> uh, like, I don't have the word to comprehend how good Kentucky Route Zero is sometimes. Yeah. I I, I mean it when I say that I, I, I think it's nothing short of the best game written um and, and at least for today and you know like maybe you know I, I i would love to see it usurped i would love to see more games of this caliber coming out for years and years i you know i want to look back um i want to look back and eventually see this game and go like oh you know how quaint or something but i i yeah i think i will continue to be unpacking this game for a very long time i've um i played it through three times now yeah uh, and i'm still sort of looking at it a little bit mesmerized and i keep finding new things and i keep being um sort of like overwhelmed by it um i just yesterday ended up playing that fifth act again and um and and more or less sobbing in the middle of uh in the middle of my living room just um you know seeing all the ghosts appearing right what do you want to do do you want to talk through this or do we want to go over it in general or no, but I have a hard time talking about it, but I feel it's the kind of game that every time um, like I'm talking about the, the, the what game can do with the power of video games as an art and as a um, medium, like it's kind of the perfect encapsulation of that. And like you, I hope that in 10 years, in 20 years, we're going to be able to look back and be how quaint about it but in the moment like it feels like i don't want to act like i hate the, the 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 citizen kind of video game thing and all those things like kentucky root zero doesn't exist in a vacuum or anything in their other game that it, that are um uh that are masterpieces and, and that we need to uh, recommend but like it does it, it, it literally is something that lived with me for the last six years and I feel it's something that's going to live with me for a long time still in the future here because I'm going to play this game again and I feel I'm going to engage with this game critically and in theory with it again and um, like I feel it's going to be a companion piece of my life for like a long time still and it's just special. Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean in uh, in it being a companion piece. Like it's something that I've um, I I feel like it has uh, 
I, I guess it's rare that I feel a game um, like impacting me um, maybe like morally and, and um, I don't want to say philosophically because a lot of games sort of touch me and a lot of games I feel like I'm engaging with, you know, on, on a on like a you know a heartfelt level but there's something about this that i i find myself when i'm when i'm dreading and stressing and also being wistful i find myself uh at least this year this year in particular anyway um sort of thinking about this game and sort of the the ways that this game um sort of like manifests loss in its characters but like it's also so much because like you can see other game and like being a game like rocky a game like rocky is about loss and that's the team and it goes around it but like i feel just saying kentucky Route zero is about loss, but it's about so much i mean this is this is this is a game about i mean i guess it's like it's the decay of of people and you know we, we talked about it being you know the 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 moral bankruptcies that come from, you know, abiding strictly to capitalism and, um, and how that's, that's present here. But there's something about, you know, this game has, you know, a half a dozen characters, maybe a bit more. Um, and they're all characters in their own right. And you're, you're following their plight and there's tragedies that they experience, but there's something about the, the, this game regularly doesn't just dwell on the individual, but sort of like looks at the collective of people and sort of like the, 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 you know, insurmountable loss of, of, you know, of life and values and, and things that matter um, to all of those people. And I think that's sort of like where the, the distance is, is that there's, there's like a gravity to it that um, that's really, um, really hard to even like grapple with. And it's even sort of hard to talk about without, like, I, I find myself getting very emotional very quickly thinking about any of the, any of the vignettes of, of people who have sort of been marginalized and abandoned inside this game. <laughs> and, like, I don't know what to say about it more than you should play it. I can tell you that, you know, I've got pages and pages of notes, and um, Kentucky Route Zero has, like, maybe ten times the amount of notes of every other game. God, that ending. That hymn. I don't think I can listen to that hymn. I don't think I can speak through that hymn um, and not cry uh anymore it's uh the sadness of the things that people cling to in uh inside spices it's uh it's very potent also it's um it's 12 it's it's approaching twelve thirty now and i'm complete <laughs> and, and i'm and it's yeah, like my well, emotional state has become more fragile <laughs> as the <laughs> evening has gone on so now i'm just kind of like yeah, we've been doing this for a while now also went a little longer than i expected which is fine. Oh yeah, I know. Me too. But yeah. I guess we. Uh, I guess we call it there. Yeah. Uh, should we say the list again or something? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so number one game of the year, Kentucky Route Zero. I I feel. I feel like we could talk about this. We could do another many hour long podcast to just talk about Kentucky Route Zero. Um, so number one, Kentucky Route Zero. Number two, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Number three, Post Void. Number four, Tales from Off-Peak City, Volume 1. Number five, Paradise Killer. Number six, Wide Ocean, Big Jacket. Number seven, The Last of Us Part Two. Number eight, Half-Life Alex. Number nine, Bug Snacks. Number 10, Microsoft Flight Simulator. So I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games of my list. Same for me. So, yeah. 
we end up having the exact same taste once more. Uh, as per <laughs> usual. So was your list then Kentucky followed by Post Void followed by Tails? Uh, yep. Followed by Paradise Killer followed by Wide Ocean Big Jacket? Uh, Wide Ocean before Paradise Killer because I, I just really liked it. But I think everything else is the same. I have Rocky at 8 and I have Animal Crossing at 9. Wow. I cannot believe how remarkably similar our lists are yet again. <laughs> Even in this bizarre year. Like, it's just like you just swap out our number two. Like, it's like there's, it's like you and I have the, okay, here's like the, you know, the decided number one is this one. And then we have like our personal pick at number two. And then the rest we might as well, we could have just dropped this whole process and sent each other a text and just been like, here you go. My number, my number two is this. And the rest you already know the answer to. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. It wouldn't be as fun without the six-hour, seven-hour grueling talk that we have. Agreed. But, uh, yeah. Um, Anna says Ichiban for life. Um, okay. She texted that to me. Well, she got she got it. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy to do this with you again, Raf. I uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate it so much. I I I think we said last year, but you know, do it forever. <laughs> <laughs> we keep doing this right. you know if one one year we could you know maybe one year we show up and you and i we've both played three games each and we're just ranking the top six games of the year and it's those ones but <laughs> but uh yep i uh, i enjoy it a lot so thank you yeah thank you dude
Oh. 